Grab your headphones and some wine. Don't be scared now, you'll be fine. Cause nothing is fact, and we're just talking, so come join weird things that rhyme. Hello! And welcome to Weird Things in Wine, the show where we sip wine and talk about all things weird. My name is Tash. And my name is Mia. And today we will be talking about Lizzie Borden. Shall we jump right into it? Oh boy, let's go. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh wait. Cheers. Cheers. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. (laughs) Isn't that scary? (laughs) Good job, Mia. This nursery rhyme is not entirely accurate. For example, it was not 40 wax or 41, but rather 18 and 11, respectively. And while many today believe that Lizzie was guilty, she was actually proven innocent in a court of law. Was the law flawed, biased, and prone to underestimating women? Yes, of course, it was the 1800s after all. But while there is a lot of evidence pointing to Lizzie, there is almost as much pointing to other suspects. Like the estranged uncle, who just so happened to be visiting at the same time as the murders. Or the mysterious maid, so poorly treated and with nothing left to lose. Or perhaps, the shadowy figure that was seen lurking around the house. Maybe it wasn't Lizzie at all, and she was left all alone, ostracized from society, living out the rest of her days with only her inheritance to keep her company. Or maybe she did kill her parents. How do I know? Let's talk about Lizzie Borden. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big case. It's so big. You wouldn't think that there would be this much going on, but you'd be wrong. Because it's from the... It happened in the 1800s, so it's like there's a lot of information, but it's all conflicting and all confusing. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into that. But Mm -hmm. this is... From what I've been able to gather, this is what I think happened. This is the events that I think occurred. But there are conflicting reports. Yeah, there are. It's Mm -hmm. almost like every source that you find has something different. Yeah. I mean, still relatively similar, but not quite the same. Yeah, there'll be like like little details that are different. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's hard to figure out what's actually like facts. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll do our best. (laughs) We'll do our best. (laughs) But I did want to put a quick disclaimer slash trigger warning in case anybody did want to look into this themselves that hasn't already yes because the crime scene photos are available shockingly available everywhere yes and they will sneak up on you Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh kind of front center in some cases where you know you just open a tab and whoa yeah (laughs) there it is right there it's um not necessary so we will not be posting that or putting that anywhere no but if you do look for it Be prepared for that because they are black and white, but they are still gory and graphic. They are. Yeah. Yeah. There's also some autopsy photos. Really? Yeah. I did not see those ones. I mean, autopsy photos as in just... Just a skull. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are available too. Because that's kind of mostly all that they looked at. Yeah. They did do like stomach... Okay, this is too far in. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We'll get into it. They, um, <laughs> it was the 1800s, so the science at the time wasn't. Oh my gosh! Good. Oh my gosh! The science, some of the stuff that they used, is like absolutely astonishing because, like, you cannot do that today. No. Like some of the tests they they did to determine certain things, I was like, oh. Okay, I I haven't heard too much about that, but I'm excited. Mia did the research on the trial. 
more so and I did more research on the paranormal side of things so there are like aspects that neither of us really know about and I'm excited to yeah. know about it yeah it's gonna be so fun gonna I'm be so gonna good. be so scared for the paranormal stuff but I can do this because it's you're here <laughs> too bad it's not too bad okay so a little bit of background on Lizzie and the rest of the Bordens she was born on July 19th, 1860, Lizzie Andrew Borden to her parents, Sarah and Andrew Borden. So she took her father's name as her middle name, and I think that was pretty common at the time. Yeah. Um, so she and her older sister, Emma, who was born in 1851, were born and raised in Fall River, Massachusetts, and the population was around 75,000 at the time. I don't think it's grown too much since then, but it, like a little bit, you know? Yeah. They did have another sister named Alice, but she passed away at the age of two, and tragically, Sarah Borden, her mother, also passed away at 39 from illness in March of 1863. If my research is correct, the Borden family had been in the Fall River area for a number of years, and to the point that they were considered one of the founding families of the area. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into it a little bit later, but the history of the family has been pretty wealthy. They've owned a number of mills and shops and all of these things and i think if i'm correct one of the bordens had something to do with a railway being put into that area okay so pretty influential been there for like kind of since the beginning of that town yeah they did have like that type of prestige and that type of wealth that came with that type of prestige but they Mm -hmm. didn't really andrew was more of a a frugal man, you could say. That's a good word. Um, <laughs> and it was unlike the rest of the family. Yes. So the the kind of a general layout is there's like, there's a hillier spot where the wealthy people lived. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the other people not on the hill. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the Bordens, for the most part, that lived there, lived on the hill. Yeah. And the uh, immediate family, I guess we'll call them, the, the like... <laughs> ones that we were focusing on, they lived in a less fashionable part of town in a house that was still, like, big, but it didn't have plumbing or electricity, which the hill part of town would have. I do later have... I'll do my best to try and explain a layout of the house. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's odd. It's really odd, and we'll get into that a little bit, because it's, like... I think it's an important part of this. I agree. Yeah, and it's really weird. This was not necessarily a town known for crime. They didn't have a super high crime rate at that time. I mean, their crime has existed forever. (laughs) So they definitely experienced some, but not very much. They did have more, like, tragedies than crime. So, like, a shop burning down, or because it was during, like, the Civil War times, invaders coming to take people. And actually, one of the Borden family members was originally taken hostage. Andrew's grandfather maybe okay or andrew's dad's grandfather was taken as a hostage okay but then he was returned very shortly after and he left okay well (laughs) that's a good story (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah it was kind of a quiet town i think seventy-five thousand was like a substantial population but it's still not like you know a giant city yeah yeah still like intimate Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I want to say that 1860 marked the start of the Victorian era. And the Victorian era had a lot of industrial progress and stuff like that. And Fall River had a number of mills, and they were, I think, pretty influential. I think maybe they were the third most influential city for um, textiles, like clothes 
and stuff. Yeah. Andrew himself, I think, was involved in some of these industrial buildings and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, at the time, people of a higher class didn't really associate with people of a lower class. So it kind of makes it more... It's not a small town, but the people that they would interact with were mm. a smaller group well than said. generally the whole town. Mm-hmm. And they would be mostly sequestered in like one area. They wouldn't generally go to certain parts of the city, especially um, women. They would generally stay yeah. at home or they would go to a town or to their friend's house, but they wouldn't explore. Yes. Yeah. Signs of the times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because I was really interested in, like, what did people think back in, like, 1860 when she was born? Google doesn't have a lot of that. Okay. (laughs) But there's the American Civil War, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of issues. Right. (laughs) Like, a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. People had issues, and they didn't want to talk about them. (laughs) Um, Poverty was a problem. Women were not allowed to vote there until 1920. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, I know more about, like, Jack the Ripper, which is why I included this. Oh. Jack the Ripper, you know, did his little stint of whatever he did um, in 1888 in the real poverty parts of England. Yeah. The landscaping is similar to what Fall River was kind of like. Okay. Yeah, that's an, um, an interesting part of this is that Jack the Ripper was fresh in everyone's mind because that's like mm-hmm. the big thing that happened that people even in America were aware of. Yeah. Even though it happened in the UK. So, like, to have such a violent event happen and then to have this specific case happen, people were really, like, shocked. And it was, like, pretty crazy at the time. And it was kind of like they might be more out for blood than they generally would be because of it. Yeah. People also talked about it as parallels. There were some people that would say, like, oh, Jack the Ripper's come to America. Or... Jack the Hacker, or Hatcher, Ooh, yeah, is one of the terms that they use to to call this case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. Okay, so speaking of Andrew himself and the family pertaining to wealth, yeah, Mm -hmm. he was frugal, and we've mentioned this, but he was (laughs) what some people may consider cheap, as in he wouldn't spend money on things that would make their lives better, even though he had it. Like, they didn't have plumbing, they didn't have electricity, they only had one maid, who we will talk about. Yes. The estate, the family estate, was valued at around $300,000 during this time when this case happened. And around today, that would be around $9.5 Oh, that is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) They had a lot of wealth. Yeah, and Mm. Andrew himself, he had, like, lots of property that he invested in, as well as he was the president of a bank, and he had a casket business. A casket business? He did. Oh, that's fitting. Have you heard about this? I have not, actually. Okay, cool. Um, so, <laughs> part of the reason his casket business became so successful oh, no. was because he could sell them at a lower price. Oh. Yeah. The reason that he maybe could have sold them at a lower price is because people speculate that he made them smaller than his competitors, which is fine. Okay. Except for... A body might not fit in a smaller cast. Oh, no! So, just to, like, start off with, like, the gross, kind of gory details already. Good um, morning. <laughs> um, Andrew is suspected to have possibly rearranged the bodies, maybe even removing parts of it to fit into the casket. Whoa. Yeah. 
That's crazy. It's a little crazy and a little gross. It's kind of also a little fitting, oddly enough. It's a little fitting for this case. It's a little bit on the nose. It's, yeah. It's too, right? You know? Yeah. Okay. That's mm, fun. Mm -hmm. But that just gives you a bit of an insight to who Andrew was, and we'll get more into him specifically later. Mm -hmm. Um, After Sarah Borden, Lizzie's mother, passed away, um, Andrew was thinking that maybe he should remarry and have someone around to be able to take care of his daughters. So he met a woman named Abby Gray. And this was three years after, so Lizzie would have been... Five. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Abby herself, she was 30 years old at the time, so she was already considered a spinster. Ooh. Mm -hmm. That's a term. That is a term. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So she was from a fairly well-to-do family, but she didn't have a lot of prospects as she was a spinster. A spinster. <laughs> yes, she was too old to get married, essentially. Naturally. Yes. So um, Andrew thought that she, he, she would be a good match because she could come into the house. She was like a, a woman, established woman already because she was, you know, a whole 30 years old. So, <laughs> so she could raise his daughters for him, essentially. In one way, that's like a nice, responsible thing to do. Yeah. So, because of this, many speculate that their marriage was more of one one of convenience rather than any real love or affection between the two. Especially as Andrew didn't wear a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. He did go on to wear a ring that Lizzie gave him, though. Yes, which shows how important his relationship with Lizzie was to yeah. him. They were pretty close. They seem to be close. They seem to be. Up until, like, a certain point, perhaps. Yes. She was a lot like him. She was, Mm. like, straightforward and stubborn and kind of more of a serious person and non-emotional. That is a thing that will come up. That is a big part. Yeah. He was a lot like her, and so I think that he tended to favor her. And partly, probably because of this, Lizzie had a tense relationship with her stepmother. She kind of believed that Abby had only married Andrew for his money. Mm -hmm. We might talk about... Some things that happened which make it a bit more understandable why she she might have felt that way. Mm -hmm. Nothing here is surface level, okay? (laughs) It's all very complex. And it's like, because she did have a good relationship with her father, but at the same time, there was a lot of tense energy in the house between all of them. Mm -hmm. And it's not so black and white. It's it's, it's very complex. It's all so interesting. (laughs) And I'm just so excited to be talking about it. Because I haven't been able to think about anything else. Yeah, this case has really consumed you. It really has. (laughs) I've lost sleep over this. It's like a lot. (laughs) So Lizzie even referred to Abby as Mrs. Borden instead of mother. Mm -hmm. Even though Abby was the one to basically raise Lizzie. Because her father wasn't around much. And she was a part of the family since the time that Lizzie was like five years old. Yeah. So it's like a major part of Lizzie's life. Yeah. But there are theories that she could have already had a maternal figure in her life in the form of Emma, her older sister. Mm. So maybe she didn't feel as though she needed Abby to help raise her. In some of her interviews with police, she does say that there was a period of time that she called Abby mother. Mm -hmm. But at least like five years prior to the incident, something happened where she only referred to her as Mrs. Borden from that moment on. Yeah, and this could have been the fact that Andrew 
gave some of his properties to her extended family, which Lizzie might have felt was taking away from her inheritance and her future. Mm-hmm because she wouldn't have had access to that. She may have thought that Abby only married him for money. Which, Um, I mean... Can't blame her. She's 30 years old. She's ancient. And also, I mean, there's varying for love. But you also have to, like, in my opinion, you also have to, like, look at the situation. Because if you love someone that's clearly going to tear you down and ruin your life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's maybe not the best arrangement for you to you know get into yeah and especially at the time for women they didn't have a lot of options they either had to marry or they had to stay with their family which we will get into in lizzie's case yes there just wasn't a lot of options and i don't think that there's this might be controversial (laughs) as long as abby and andrew were on the same page that abby was to take care of the home and take care of the girls and Andrew was to provide financially for them, I don't think that that's, like... Like, we shouldn't villainize Abby for this, just because at the time, this was how things went, and they were on the same page about it. I totally agree with you. Yeah. 100%. It's not like he thought that he was getting a love match out of this, and she was like, no, I'm only here for the money. It was like, she was only there for the money, but he also (laughs) got something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. They both benefited in some way or another from this arrangement. Yeah, and... At the time, there weren't a lot of options, honestly, for either of them. He True. couldn't have taken a, a wife that maybe was a better match for him because he had two girls to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. And he needed someone with, like, enough life experience to be able to handle looking after two arguably, like, tiny children. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if he didn't want or expect her to have children of her own. You know, it's like they never had another child. And at the time, that might be considered kind of strange because they didn't have a son. And generally, men Mm. wanted sons. To carry on everything with men's rights. and Yes. 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 That's right. Yeah. So that's an interesting, yeah. I don't, she could have obviously still had children at that point, but they didn't. Yeah. Which could also be why Lizzie took his middle name or his name as her middle name, because he didn't have a son to pass the name on to, which would oh, generally be like the custom at the time. That's true, actually. Yeah. Because Emma's middle name is Lenora. Yeah. But it could have also been a tradition, because Sarah's middle name was Anthony, which I assume was her father's name. That's true. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Sarah was the youngest. Maybe it's so like a youngest woman thing, too. I really couldn't find information about her. No, me neither. No, it was like impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, or partly probably, partly probably, um, because of the fact that Andrew gave part of his um, property to Abby's extended family, Lizzie and Emma thought that they should also have some property of their own. They requested real estate from him, and he sold them, um, like, a house for only, like, a dollar. So I don't know if that's, like, customary around families with wealth, especially at the time, but... It was basically like he was giving it to them, but they owned it. Yeah. Yeah. This house, too, I think was maybe originally his grandfather's house. It had been in the family before. Yeah, and I think that it was kind of deemed a little bit, it was like undesirable. It wasn't a That's big fair. fancy house. It was just like a property that he didn't really want anymore. Yeah. So they later sold this money or this house back to him for $5,000, which is 163000 today. I don't know why. There's a lot of speculation as to why. Because this was so close to when things happened, Mm -hmm. people have said that maybe he was changing 
the rights in his will and didn't want to leave his kids without anything. Right. So he gave them $5,000. And then the the house, the property still stayed in the family. So if anything happened to him, they would still inherit the property. Possibly. Possibly. We never actually found his will. So... So we don't really know what his wishes were. Yeah. So Abby, Emma, and Lizzie were all given allowances as they obviously didn't work. That wasn't a thing that upper-class women did at the time. But the difference between the, the daughters and Abby, the mother, stepmother, she had to pay for household items, including like food, out of her budget, whereas Lizzie and Emma were free to spend theirs however they wished. And oh. it wasn't like a lot of money. No. No, because he was... Very frugal frugal Mm -hmm. with his his money. But she had to provide for the family out of her budget, whereas the girls didn't, and it was the same amount for all three. Okay, well, that does seem sort of unfair in a way, especially when you consider their ages as we get older. (laughs) Yeah, so growing up, the family was pretty involved in the church, and Lizzie even taught Sunday school for a while. However, she did also have a bit of a habit of shoplifting. Reportedly. Reportedly. None of of this, most of this is just what we can gather because there's obviously no one alive to talk to about this anymore. Exactly. And the um, Mm -hmm. actual reports at the time, you know, they were selective about what they chose to write down as they had to be. They couldn't put every single detail. Mm -hmm. It's just not realistic. Well, and I mean, no one wants a scandal. No one wants a scandal. You know? And that's the thing. So Andrew actually had like a bit of a standing agreement with a lot of the shopkeepers in town to like just you know, send me the invoice and I will pay it, whatever she takes, just don't... Do not alert the police. Do not alert the police, don't tell anyone, mm-hmm. just keep it on the DL, <laughs> you know? This is between you and I. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to say one more fun thing about the house, it's kind of weird. Oh, okay. So, the house was on 92nd Street, and now it resides on 230th Street due to a name change in 1896. So. Oh. It's, like, still in the same place, but where it was back then is different than where it currently is. And it's still the same house. And we'll get into the house when we get into the paranormal stuff more. (laughs) But like you said, it was laid out pretty weird. They didn't really have hallways. You had to go through someone's bedroom to get to the stairs, to go downstairs. Mm -hmm. And you could get somehow to the third floor without hanging out on the second floor for... I don't know. Yeah, they they also had, like, split staircases. So... There was one set of staircase that would take you up to the second and third floor, but only to, like, parts. It wouldn't allow you access to the whole floor. Mm-hmm. And the same on the other side. Yeah. It's a very strange house. I don't it's think weird. I could live in that house. <laughs> no, like, the, the feng shui would be all weird. No kidding. And then you get lost? No, yeah. you wouldn't. <laughs> End up in someone's bedroom? Honestly, that's mm-hmm. not even yours? Ugh. No. Yeah. It is worth not- noting, though, that Lizzie had... A bigger bedroom than Emma and they had like kind of a connecting bedroom they had like a door that they could go into each other's room it, it was probably kept locked I assume yeah but she did have the bigger bedroom even though she was younger sister yes so there's only one door to get to both bedrooms so Emma would have to go through Lizzie's bedroom to get to her own bedroom mm-hmm. and it was said that Lizzie ended up putting up some like barriers to make it feel like it was maybe more of her room Right. It's also worth noting that the layout of that room was the same layout of the master bedroom that Andrew and Abby had. It's just mm. that the extra little bedroom part they used as like a walk-in closet right. or dresser so, sort of situation. So her room was basically the same size as the master bedroom. Yeah. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. Weird. I wonder why. <laughs> they did have another bedroom on the other side through the other staircase on the second floor. And I kind of wonder if that had the same layout, but I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah. It's all very confusing. It is very confusing. Yeah. Oh, the family did have a maid. Yes. This was their only staff member, but she is kind of a key character in this whole case. Mm-hmm. And I think that she came to the family pretty, like, soon before the actual case, the events happened. The events. <laughs> <laughs> so she was kind of new. Um, and her name was Bridget. But the family called her Maggie. It's not really known why, but it's suspected that it was probably because a previous na- maid was named Maggie, and they just didn't bother to learn a new name. Nice. Yeah. Super nice. Super nice. With the time... Also, Bridget was of Irish descent. This will come into play when we get into some of the events as well. People had a problem with, you know, races and people that immigrated to their spot because whatever, whatever. So that also could have played into why they didn't bother learning her name. Not that it did, because they really did seem to care about her. And actually, Bridget told investigators later that she had threatened to quit on about three occasions, but that Abby, every time, like, talked her off the edge and was like, I, you you know, I really want you to stay, and at one point she even increased her pay to get her to stay with the family. At least Abby really liked her. Okay. It's also hard to find information about Abby. (laughs) Like, I don't know what Abby was like as a person. I can tell you about Andrew, but I don't know what Abby was like. I know. Really, the only name that I really could come up with of importance was one of Abby's friends, and her sister in sister, mm. I think, um, whose name was Sarah, funny yeah. enough. <laughs> Weird, okay. Mm-hmm. Who did say that Abby was a really nice and caring person, and like she really thought a lot of Abby and not so much of Lizzie. Right. Which seems to be a reoccurring theme when you talk to someone's friend in this case, where the friend goes, Yeah, my friend is amazing, but this person sucks. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. And um, also, I think, like, but in the announcements, instead of referring to her as Abby, they referred to her as Andrew Borden and his wife have passed away. Oh, that's so lame. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I think that kind of sentiment towards woman is part of the reason that we don't know a lot about her. Probably. We don't have a lot of information on who she was or her backstory. Because it's the same with Sarah. Yeah. We know nothing about her. No. Hmm. Andrew Borden was reported to be rather difficult to get along with. He seemed to be pleasant enough, but he had his problems. He had his moments. One of those moments occurred during that summer. Let's talk about that summer. Let's do that. Because there are a few things that happened during that summer that are interesting. Yes. One of those is that Andrew Borden allegedly took a hatchet and went out to the barn, to the barn where Lizzie kept her friends her little pigeons she had these pigeons that she had built a roost for she cared for them and she loved them they were her pets yeah and andrew took a hatchet and he killed all of them Mm -hmm. every single one and left them there for her to find yeah that's a bit problematic it's problematic and it's speculated that the reason that he did that was because a couple of neighborhood boys had broken into the barn he was so worried about them like stealing (laughs) things or whatever so he just went out and like Killed all her pigeons. Okay, well, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that at all. That's not why you kill pigeons. No. Come on, friends. That's horrifying. It is horrifying. Also, in the investigation, 
she does say something along the lines of while he took a hatchet it's possible that he didn't hatchet them all and kind of manhandled them to death Oof, possibly so it gets even worse it kind of seems like he maybe had a real hatred for these pigeons or something like that yeah or yeah he just had a bit of a temper <laughs> that's also possible yeah yeah which can be hereditary <laughs> moving on um so lizzie was distraught and she and her sister emma ended up taking a vacation to new bedford which was a nearby town and when they returned home lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for a few days before she actually came back to the house she just needed the time to cool off understandably i would never speak to anyone again if they like killed my pigeons oh my gosh if they killed if i had like a pet spider and they killed it it's done friends off ever never speaking to them oh yeah no no not justifying anything that might have happened to him but i'm just saying i can understand why she would be mad (laughs) exactly exactly we're talking about one thing at a time here (laughs) (laughs) so shortly after this the entire household fell ill barring emma who was away visiting other friends at the time she wasn't home but the whole household was just like sick and it was suspected to be food poisoning because they actually had like a stew on the stove that they had just been eating out of for days because they didn't have refrigeration yes they also so i have that on august 2nd which was apparently the first time that they had food poisoning Mm -hmm. they had swordfish Mm, gross yes and then following that Abby went to see her doctor, Dr. Mm-hmm. Bowen, who lived across the street, to right. say that, oh, we've had swordfish, and I think I'm, like, I have food poisoning, or I'm being poisoned. And then, and then the next day, they had mutton stew. Right. Which um, they also got food poisoning from. Yeah, because they didn't, he didn't want to waste food, so he didn't want to throw it out. I mean, it makes sense. frugal. They didn't have a way to keep it, you know, cold, so yeah. he just stayed on the stove and they ate out of it. I think... Bridget, the maid, even mentioned at one point, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> but it was kind of common in the household at the time to, to do stuff like this because they didn't really have any other options, according to Andrew. Because of Andrew. Because of Mostly. Andrew. Also. Oof. Not to be haunted or anything. No, of course not. So Abby, like you said, she thought, you know, food poisoning or perhaps it, the family was being poisoned. Yes. That maybe Andrew was a target because he had enemies in town at the time. This is true. There was also more recently a case where there was a man who wanted to rent one of his rental homes and he would, he refused. And the man was apparently, according to Lizzie, very upset and angry, even though Lizzie is the only person who vouched that this man was like angry enough to possibly do something. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Earlier that summer, the family had also been a victim of a break-in. A daytime. A daytime break-in. The thief had come in during the daylight hours and stole $50 and some of Abby's jewelry, but nothing else was disturbed or taken, as if whoever it was knew exactly where to go, because again, the layout of the house is weird. How would they get in and out without anyone seeing them? They have to go through people's actual bedrooms. Yeah. Shortly after, however, the investigation was called off by Andrew... Which is kind of weird if he didn't already know who it was. Yeah, and things shifted in the household after this. I mean, the house beforehand was pretty much locked, like Fort Knox, apparently. Mm -hmm. It was always locked, um, including the bedrooms were locked. But after this, Andrew would still lock his bedroom, but he would take the key and put it 
like in the middle of the table in the living room as like a sign of, you know. Yeah, like a <laughs> do it, I dare you. Pretty much. Yeah. Watch what happens. Yeah. Yeah. A week later, the sister's maternal uncle came for a visit. So this was Sarah's brother, and his name was John Morse. He was supposed to stay at the family home for a few days to discuss kind of vague business matters with Andrew. It's suspected that this may have been the matter of his will. Lizzie was asked later how often John visited the family, and she never really gave like a real answer. But the closest maybe answer that we got out of her was that he hadn't visited the family in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. By no means a uh, normal thing for him to stop by. No, I think that they were kind of... They weren't close. No. Also to the point that some people say that Lizzie detested him. Some people also say that she had affection for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1800s, it's all conflicting. So true. <laughs> so let's talk about the fateful day, as I have it titled so dramatically in my notes. <laughs> On August 4th, 1892, the family, minus Emma, again, who was out of town, and Lizzie, because she rarely ate with the family, they woke and they ate breakfast together. So it was John, Andrew, Abby, and Bridget. Afterwards, John and Andrew went to the sitting room and talked for an hour. Not really known about what, necessarily, but probably these vague business matters that they had to discuss. So also, the day is August 4th. We're assuming that they ate around 7 a.m. Around 9 a.m., Andrew went out for his morning walk shortly after, and John went into town. After this, Abby goes and begins her house cleaning, which eventually leads her upstairs, and Bridget goes to the backyard to throw up from the breakfast that they had, or the night before, and also maybe the breakfast, (laughs) (laughs) because they had mutton stew for breakfast as well, which was a good choice. And then Lizzie comes downstairs around 9, and while she's coming downstairs, she maybe asks Andrew if he can mail her a mail, like a letter for her, and then Andrew leaves shortly after this. And then it's suspected that between 9.30 and 10.30, while Abby was upstairs cleaning the guest room, um, Bridget was outside cleaning the windows on the main level, um, which she had been asked to do by Abby. And while she was there... Lizzie was in the barn getting a lure, Mm -hmm. or a wait for her lure. Mm -hmm. So at around 10.30, Andrew returned home, but he couldn't get into the house as the door was jammed. Maybe deadbolted. There are reports of both, that it could have been like completely locked and he couldn't have gotten in, or it was jammed. Okay. But either way, Bridget went to help him, and he came into the house, and he laid down on the couch, and he was still wearing his boots. He didn't even get his boots off yet. He just went to lay down on the couch. Probably... Partly because of the food poisoning. That makes sense. Yeah. When Bridget gets back into the house, she tells, Lizzie tells Bridget that Abby had gone out because she received an urgent message about a sick friend Mm -hmm. and she left. So after Andrew laid down on the couch, Bridget went to her room on the third floor complaining of a headache. At around quarter after 11, she heard Lizzie calling from downstairs. Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone came in and killed him. So she rushes downstairs and is sent to get the family physician, Dr. Bowen? Yes. Yeah, who lived across the street. Dr. Bowen was actually not home when Bridget ran across the street, but his wife was. Mm. So she left word with his wife that he needed to come over urgently as soon as he got home. Bridget ran back to the house where Lizzie instructed her to go and get um, Alice, who was a family friend that lived like a block or so down the road. Right. And it's important to note that there was actually a number of other doctors... (laughs) 
mm-hmm. living right around this house. Their next door neighbor was an Irish doctor. Um, oh, but yes. he was Irish. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then diagonally behind them, also very close, was a French Canadian doctor. But he's Canadian and, and French. French. <laughs> exactly. So naturally, they didn't call on either of those doctors and instead waited for Dr. Bowen to get home, which apparently didn't take him all that long. And then right around this time, too, they also called the police. Mm. On the police, really quickly, August 4th was the worst day that this could have happened. Do you mm-hmm. have this? No, but I know what you're going to say. Okay, so apparently there's an annual police force picnic that happens on August 4th at a town called Rocky Point near Rhode Island, which is apparently far away. So the majority of the police force was actually not there. Yeah. I think it bears noting that the police, a lot of the police, and especially the ones that came to visit to investigate this, were Irish as well. Yes. This is a really, there's a lot of Irish people that yeah. seem to be in this part of the USA. And they were not viewed very highly by the other people in town. Which is very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Also, the police station, it only took them about four minutes to get from the police station to the house. It's like 1,300 feet, I think. Oh, okay. Not far. No. It's around at this point that Lizzie points out an open window. She and Bridget are standing in the room waiting for the doctor. She's like, look, the window's open. And Bridget is like, I was just cleaning that and I didn't leave it open. When the doctor was there and Lizzie's friend Alice and a few other people in the neighborhood, because there was a lot of entertainment at the time, you know, people yeah. were just like, oh my gosh, there's been a murder. Let's go and hang around the, the crime scene. There's also kind of a maybe potentially in a really nice way, a nosy neighbor potentially who saw Bridget running across <laughs> the street and then running down the street to get Alice mm-hmm. and then came over and her name is Adeline. Yeah. So there's a few people in the house yes. that maybe don't need to be there. The doctor and Alice, they got to the house kind of at the same time. At this point, the police were either had already arrived or and were just running back or were still running or like still coming to the house. So Dr. Bowen immediately goes to look at Andrew. Alice, Adeline, the neighbor, and Lizzie were all in the kitchen just sort of talking and, you know, making sure that Lizzie's okay because how horrible. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after examining Andrew, Dr. Bowen said that he was going to go telegram Emma And Lizzie made sure to tell him she's staying with an elderly neighbor or like an elderly woman is going to answer the phone. So don't give them too many details because we don't need to give, you know, someone else like a heart attack. Yeah. And while the women are talking, Adeline is becoming increasingly concerned about Abby. So when Adeline originally came over to the house, she was the one that Lizzie told Abby had received a note and was out of the house. Mm -hmm. As soon as Adeline got there, that's what she said. As time goes on, Adeline's increasingly concerned, and eventually she says that maybe they should contact Abby's half-sister and closest friend, whose name is Sarah, Mm -hmm. to see if Sarah knows where she'd gone or who the friend is. And it is at this point that Lizzie says she thought she'd heard Abby return, or someone return to the house. And it's according to Adeline during her questioning that Lizzie, what Lizzie said was, I wish someone would go find Abby. I thought I'd heard someone come in, which is the first time she had heard this. And it's at this point that I have Adeline and Bridget go up to check on Abby. They don't get very far. They just get far enough so they can look into the room and see that Abby's lying on the floor. They don't check her out because they're not a doctor. And they come back down and someone says, I think it might be Alice. 
who says, is there another? So she was lying, like, face down. Yeah, they could tell from the landing that she was obviously dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They didn't know why, though. So when Dr. Bowen was first called, he later denies this in trial, Mm -hmm. but apparently he said that he thought Abby had passed from fright after seeing her husband. So when he first got to her, he didn't move her. They didn't touch her really until the police came and turned her over and then saw what had happened. Yeah. I think it was pretty obvious. Once they saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was blood That's all over true, the That's true, actually. They should have been able to see by first glance that it was not... She didn't pass from flight. Fright. Yeah. This was kind of an, like a point, and I don't want this to come off as rude because it's absolutely not, and everyone is perfect however they are. Abby was, according to some, maybe roughly 200 pounds, and she was lying face first. So it's presumed that had she fallen at all, she should have, you would have heard her fall. Even if it wasn't from standing, if she was sitting on the bed or laying on the bed and was rolled off the bed onto her face, you would have heard her from anywhere in the house. Or outside of the house, potentially. Especially because, like, back then, the walls are so thin, there's not a lot of insulation. Exactly. Sound will travel. Yeah. Even if you're, like, larger or smaller, you're going to make a sound if you fall. Exactly. Especially if you're not, like... Like, if you just straight up fall right over from the pictures, it looks... I don't want to mention the pictures yeah, too much. Yeah, don't look at the pictures. <laughs> don't look at the pictures. But from the pictures, she's lying like she had fallen from standing. Not like a like, timber. Not like, yeah. Yeah. Not, not fallen to her knees and then fallen over, but like just straight, just fallen. Yeah. The victims were quickly pronounced dead. It was obvious that there, there was no way to revive them, that it had been pretty quick for them. Mm-hmm. And... There are reports that they put the bodies onto the kitchen table. I have that Andrew for sure was first put onto the kitchen table, and then when they were performing more autopsies, they were both put on the kitchen table while the family was still having to stay in the house. In the kitchen. They immediately did this. They didn't take them to like a doctor's office. They just put no. them on the table and investigated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Brutal. The bodies, not the house. Only the bodies they investigated mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So what they found... They found that the blood hadn't fully dried, and especially in the case of Andrew, which means that the attacks had been very recent, and they determined that Abby's happened around an hour or two before Andrew's did. Abby passed away first, and that's important when we get to the suspects. Yes. Both attacks were believed to be done by a hatchet or an axe, and there were no defensive wounds on either body. So they either knew the attacker or they were caught completely off guard. Like... Abby was attacked in the back before she turned around to face her attacker, I believe. So she was caught off guard by the attack, and we could tell that because she was attacked first in the back, and then she spun around, assuming to face her attacker, fell over, and continued to be attacked. Andrew was still reclining on the couch, still he with probably his boots was sleeping, on. also. Probably napping, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, they were both brutally attacked. There are ways that the forensic investigators could tell that the weapon had to have been somewhat sharp, in addition to being used with a lot of force. Abby had been hit 18 times, and Andrew had been hit 11 times. That's like an estimate. It's not exact, but around Hmm. that. Okay, I have that Abby was hit 19. Okay. And Andrew was 10. Yeah, so 18 or 19, 10 or 11. Yeah. That's like estimates. Mm -hmm. And this is like way overkill. You know, like one probably would have done it. Honestly, one and if not two at the most. Yeah. This is kind of like 
you know, it, it points to yeah, it points to someone who knew them and had a motive beyond just like um, reaping benefits from their being gone. Yeah, um, <laughs> trying yeah. to be polite. That's a good way to put it. So it points to like a crime of passion rather than a motive-based one. Yeah, because crimes of passion typically have, like you said, overkill. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for you to keep going, but for some reason, you just can't stop, and that leads to... What happened? That's right. <laughs> um, oh, it also points to it maybe not being as planned out as if they had, like, an actual reason to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, a benefit that they would get from it, because it's kind of, like, spur-of-the-moment, rage-induced, they just snapped. True. But that doesn't really line up with the fact that there were, like, an hour or two between each a murder yeah so like what was the person who did it doing in between this time especially because the house was laid out so weirdly that there was no real place for them to hide Mm -hmm. and consider bridget and lizzie were both still home because bridget was cleaning the windows i think that she also had to go back and forth to the barn to get pails of water Mm -hmm. had someone come in like they could not have predicted when she would go get new buckets or any of that. Right. Would she have been upstairs already? Lying? No, she wouldn't have been upstairs when, when Abby was attacked. Okay. No, she was outside. Yeah. And then her room is on the other, through the other staircase. So when she went up to her room, she wouldn't have passed Abby's room at all. Yeah. And it's, um... Or the guest room. It's Sorry. almost like somebody was, like, watching what she was doing. Because when she was outside, Abby was murdered. And when she was upstairs... Um, Andrew was murdered. So it's like she had been upstairs when Abby was murdered. She would have heard if she had been outside when Andrew was. She would have heard. Yeah. Yeah. I think she may have heard regardless, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, because you said it looks, like, it was almost like someone was watching her. Mm-hmm. One of the neighbors, because factually, we know that Bridget was outside cleaning the windows. Yes, because, there were witnesses. Yes, there were witnesses. And one of the witnesses was a neighbor. That's I don't know if this was Adeline or if this was another neighbor that was watching, but she said that that day she had seen Bridget and maybe said hi, and she also could see um, Lizzie inside the house watching Bridget through the door, Ooh. through the sliding door, or the, um, what is it? Screen door. Is that romantic or is that creepy? I don't know. I think it's creepy. Because <laughs> the way that this, she made it sound was like, watching like she was standing there looking at her yeah not, not just like longingly, yeah and not watching. even just like in a passing glance like oh bridget's washing the windows okay i'm gonna go down to the cellar or whatever they have a cellar <laughs> they have a cellar yeah it's creepy there's spider webs down there according to the investigation <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna mention the ages of everyone at this point oh, abby was 64 andrew was 69 bridget is rumored to be around in her mid-twenties, she could have been younger. Emma would have been 42, and or 41, and Lizzie would have been 32. So there were nine years between them. So Lizzie and Emma at this point were considered spinsters. Should we get into the investigation? Sure. Like you mentioned, the police were out of town, most of them, at this point. So they didn't really search the house that day, partly because of that, and partly because Lizzie obviously wasn't feeling very well after this. You know, she was kind of distraught, and she had been kind of questioned, and she had also been giving, given morphine. She, she couldn't really, like, help them with anything, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure, actually, when this happened in the timeline of the morphine, mm-hmm. but one of the officers 
whose name was Officer Harrington, he said that he wasn't interviewing Lizzie. He was just there helping, being a police presence on the scene. Mm -hmm. um, he said that Lizzie was very calm mm -hmm. and not grieving or stating anything about wanting to catch who had done this. And she is known to be like a non-emotional person and she was also given morphine. Yes. But it's still like kind of weird. <laughs> off-putting. Yeah. I'm not going to like judge how anyone grieves, but like no. that is off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you've been in the vicinity of the body for however long it was there before it was moved. Yeah. Even when they came back over the next couple of days, they barely searched her room specifically. She wasn't immediately a suspect until no. they, you know, thought about it a bit more, I guess. <laughs> but they didn't really search her room as it was deemed improper to violate a lady's privacy. And she made it clear that she didn't really want them to. Yes. They did check the basement, where they found two axes and three hatchets. One had a broken handle, and there are some reports that another one could have maybe had um, blood on it and mm. hair. Yes, mm -hmm. I have that too. Yeah. I think that one, I forget what that one was called. I want to say it was like a screw hammer. It was like, a, know there were it was like a different, It you know, the shape of a hatchet. Yeah. It's like a differently shaped hatchet that okay. kind of could match up with some of the wounds this was later proven to be just like cow's blood and hair yeah it was also potentially rumored that it was cat's blood and hair okay yep because it was rumored that abby had a cat and lizzie hated abby so much that she did something to the cat that's upsetting similar to the pigeons Okay, Abby did not kill the pigeons. Don't get revenge on Abby. This cat certainly didn't. No kidding. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it is a cat. You never really know. I mean, probably some pigeons <laughs> it may have done. At some point in its life, it's possible that it could have. But it's, it's probably, if that happened, which I personally don't think it did, <laughs> that probably was not the reason. No, and you can't blame a cat for being a cat. No. Oh. <laughs> okay, anyways... Uh, I don't think that they took any of the weapons, or potential weapons, sorry, in as evidence. At that point. At that point. They did test the bodies for poison due to the recent illness, but they didn't find anything suspicious. Um, at one point during this time, Lizzie was eventually asked about the note, and she was never able to come like provide it, which I don't know why she would, because it was Abby's note. Yeah. Um, and no one came forward to say that they were deliverer, because I think... Someone said that typically it was, like, young, typically men, like, paperboys. Yeah. That would also deliver these notes. But no one came forward to say that they did. They, I think that they put, like, a thing in the newspaper to, like, mm, did anybody, sense. does anyone know anything about it? And no, none of her friends came forward. She said that it was an elderly friend that Abby had gone to see, but none, there were no reports of anyone actually coming forward and being like, that was me. <laughs> you know? That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that they possibly did find in the house while the doctor was still there was a, a bucket filled of, with bloody clots yes. in the downstairs. Yeah. Do you have when they found that? Mm, I think it was the day after. Okay. So it was in this time. That's what yeah, I had, but Because Bridget mentioned that she hadn't seen it yes. around. That this was the first that she had seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like it was, like, like there were quite a few bloody clots, mm -hmm. not just, like, one or two in the bottom. Mm -hmm. Like, there was enough for it to be washed. <laughs> yeah, it was a pail, of, a pail full. Yeah. So when the officers asked Lizzie about this, she didn't actually say anything. She said, go talk to Dr. Bowen. 
and because I guess she'd previously talked to Dr. Bowen about this, and he advised the police that it was okay because it was explained to him and it's okay. And what was explained to him is that they were menstrual cloths. Yes. Yes. I don't know why Lizzie would be telling Dr. Bowen unless there was a problem. How I thought about it was you're supposed to trust your doctors. Mm -hmm. And he was the family doctor. Mm -hmm. And she probably, because you also didn't like talk to this, talk about this stuff with people that you don't know, especially not male police officers Mm -hmm. or like another male. If he was the family doctor, she would have felt comfortable potentially enough with him to be like, this is what they are. I just need you, I need you to say something because I'm not comfortable and the police are going to find out and ask. Yeah. It's like as a trusted male third party messenger. Okay. That makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Like you said at the time it was, it was deemed so taboo to talk about it that like as soon as she was like, oh, I'm actually on my period or like, could you you imagine that? Could you imagine if she said that? (laughs) They would have fainted. The menfolk would have just, like, completely, like, passed out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The investigation would have been canceled. Yeah. They would have been like, okay, that's it. If she did I'm it, out. it's fine. We're done. <laughs> we don't want to know. We don't want to know. Because it was so taboo. They were just completely, like, as soon as you say that, there are no more questions. They are not going to question it. They don't want to know about it. They won't ask any questions. Yeah. And Turn off. she knew about that. Yes. She knew, if I say that this is why they're there. But also, if we're going to take that as, like, evidence against her specifically Mm -hmm. not that we need to do that yet because it's a little early for that (laughs) but if we were to do that like wouldn't she just burn them she has no problem burning cloths or other shadowing (laughs) (laughs) this is true or maybe it was just to like throw them off see that's how i thought about it it was like more of a cover because had she hid them somewhere else anywhere else like if she'd hid them in her room or somewhere else that someone would have found them it could have been more of a scandal than yeah. And it would have been harder to pass them off as menstrual cloths because that's, I guess, where they kept them in the downstairs where they when they were being washed. Yeah. Maybe it was like, you know, if I leave these here and then they find blood elsewhere, like on my other clothes, then they'll just assume it's that. Right? Yeah. Which they did. Yeah. Like Blair a was little like, bit. Like there was like bit. one drop of blood on one of her dresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not enough to be... Any, not enough to be connected to anything other than like a cut on your finger or mm-hmm. menstrual blood. Something little. Yes. Immediately following the incident, the mayor, because people had started to gather, as you said, mm-hmm. um, the mayor ended up telling Bridget and Emma that they really like encouraging them to stay in their house and not go anywhere. So Alice, the friend, stayed with them for the next few days. Um, and they also had a huge police presence because they were worried that maybe the attacker would come back. So they always had policemen stationed outside. And it sounds like they might have also at s- either permanently or at some points had policemen on the inside as well because one of them saw something. So um, Alice and Lizzie had come downstairs and Alice was holding like a lantern something for light and they were both heading towards the cellar lizzie was going first and the officer witnessed them both heading there and then alice stopping at the top of the staircase and lizzie going down lizzie was down there for a couple minutes before returning and the officer doesn't know what they were doing i'm assuming that maybe because you know the menstrual cloths was a thing that he maybe thought it was something like that Mm -hmm. and left it 
And he also noted, or it was either him or one of the investigators noted that it was kind of odd that Alice maybe didn't go. Like Alice was maybe scared of going downstairs because she seemed to just be sort of awkwardly standing at the top of the stairs. Okay. It's weird. It doesn't really tell you anything. No, it's just a weird thing that happened. Yeah. In the days that followed, the estate matters were kind of settled that they went to Emma. Because Abby passed away before Andrew, the estate went to the girls. So if Abby had survived longer than Andrew, the estate would have gone to her. It would have gone from Andrew to Abby, and then to whoever Abby's... Abby's will. Abby's will, what said that would it would go to. Abby's next of kin. There we go. That's what it is. Yes, which were not Emma and Lizzie, because they were not biologically her daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she ever... I don't know how it worked in the 1800s, if she would have like legally adopted them, but I don't think so. I think that she was just their father's... Wife. Wife, legally. I think you might be right. Yeah. Since Andrew survived longer than Abby, and it was, like, very obvious, there were, like, an hour or two, and maybe it was intentional, Andrew... Oh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, it could have been, like, an intentional... We'll get into that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But because it was Andrew, it went to the girls. So, but Lizzie was on a suspect at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So she couldn't have access to her inheritance until she was cleared, but Emma did, and she hired the best lawyers that she could for Lizzie. She was completely, like, 100% on Lizzie's innocence. Mm-hmm. An interesting fact about the lawyers, like you said, they were the best lawyers. Mm-hmm. So the lawyers, the team, have been likened to the O.J. Simpson team oh. and the Casey Anthony team. Oh, wow. Because both of those teams are, like, the top-tier golden star defense lawyer teams okay wow right yeah so she hired the best lawyers that she could for Mm -hmm. her sister and the two put out a reward for five thousand dollars for information on the murderer no one came forward with any evidence but it is interesting that it's five thousand dollars because that's the same amount that they sold the estate for back to andrew that is interesting that is quite a parallel i don't know if it's a coincidence but we'll Mm. maybe talk about that again okay so the funeral was held on August 6th. I think that maybe the funeral was at the house. And there were about 75 people in attendance. Although there were, according to the newspapers, between 2,500 to three to 4,000 people that standed, standed? that stood outside of the residence while the funeral was happening. <laughs> kind of like when people... When, like, royalty gets married, people just yeah. sit outside the church. Isn't that creepy? <laughs> it is creepy. Why are you there? You can't see anybody. <laughs> so, this part, I'm confused about exactly where the funeral was. Because they did bury them. Like, they t- attempted to bury them. They were having a burial, and the people that walk the caskets? The, I don't know what those people are called. Pallbearers, I oh, think. the pallbearers? I think so. Okay, so the pallbearers, they came with the caskets to the resting places, and didn't actually get to put them in their resting places. They just got there and had to turn right around and walk back to the transportation vehicle because they'd received an order, like, at that moment, that they were not to be buried because they needed more testing. Right. Yes. Which already was, like, a difficult thing for all of the 75 in attendance to witness. Yeah. And Lizzie was taken in as a suspect on the 11th. 
there wasn't even a place in town for her to be housed because there were no prisons for women at the time. She was the only woman in there at the time. Only woman. So she had to be taken to a nearby town where she waited for almost a year until her trial started on June 5th, 1893. According to Lizzie, the only people that she thought could have been the suspect for this was an unnamed disgruntled man like we said before, upset that Andrew would not rent him one of his rental homes. We still don't know why. There's also, she mentioned an uncle named Hiram Harrington. Okay. I have no idea who that is. They never elaborated on that, according to the things that I looked at. Okay. (laughs) And I don't know why she thought that. Weird, okay. Yes, and when she was asked about um, anyone who might want to hurt Abby, she said she couldn't think of anyone. So we're going to go through least to most likely for suspects, or least to most interesting. So Emma Borden, the 41-year-old spinster daughter of Andrew Borden. The rich Andrew Borden. She was visiting friends in a nearby town. She wasn't home at the time, so it's a pretty solid alibi. Actually, yeah, I think she had been there already for two weeks. Mm -hmm. This place that she was, it was close enough that you could get to it in like there and back in like an hour that's not far it wasn't far her friends wouldn't have raised suspicion if she had just been like i'm going to town for a bit Mm. and then taken a car back to home there are also theories that she could have conspired with other suspects on this list before Um, she left before she left and it's worth mentioning that she took hours to get a train home once she received words of the murders Mm, I haven't heard that. Yeah, there were many trains that came from where she was back to Fall River, but she didn't take any of them until that evening. I'm not going to judge anyone for how they grieve, but it is weird that she wouldn't have wanted to go home immediately, especially as her sister was alone. Her younger sister that she had helped raise was alone at this time. Hmm, That's true. Yeah. I also wonder what exactly Dr. Bowen told her when he telegrammed. If he was like, your parents have passed, or if he was like, there's been an accident, you have to come home. I think that, I don't know for sure, but I think that she knew that they were passed away. Okay. But I don't think that she knew how. Like, okay. I don't think he would have wanted to disturb her as much. Like, I want think he wanted to get her home before she knew exactly what had happened. But Yeah, be with family when she found out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good way to do it. But she had been living below the family's means for her entire life. Maybe she was just sick of it. Maybe she was sick of having to use a chamber pot instead of an actual toilet. Maybe she was sick of not having lights in the evening and not having, like, a cook to make her food whenever she wanted. And she was in her 40s at this point with no real way to escape her situation as marriage was becoming less of an option as she got older. There are also rumors that she had fallen in love with a man of a lower social class. Oh, no. And that her father didn't approve of this relationship. That maybe she was more into this man than he was into her, Hmm. but that she really wanted to be with him and that she couldn't while Andrew was around. Right. He wouldn't have let allowed. Yeah. I don't think that she's a very likely suspect, but it's worth mentioning her as a potential suspect. Especially when it could, like, when you think about the fact that there could have been multiple people involved in this, not just one person. Yeah. Which I think makes a lot of sense, and we'll get into that. Even in, like, a small part, too. Not, e- not even necessarily, like, a main part, but, like, yeah. in a small way. Like, maybe she knew about yeah. it. Knew it was about and to happen. And helped conceal it. Yeah. Our next suspect is Bridget Sullivan, 
Bridget. Bridget, the maid,、mm-hmm. also known as Maggie. So we've talked about how she was kind of almost like whoever did it was tracking her movements. She was、Creepy. in parts of the house where she wouldn't have known about each murder at the time, even though she was kind of all around that day. Yeah. So either someone was watching her, or she did it. One or the other. Whoa. <laughs> One or the other. She could have just snapped after being treated so poorly. She was feeling really sick that day. That's true, and she'd been feeling sick before. Yeah. And she had tried to warn them of the danger of eating rotten food, and she didn't really have a choice in the matter. And、True. she was also Irish and not treated as well as she would have been if she hadn't been.、Mm-hmm. You know, they were like discriminating against her because of where she was from. Not okay. We all know that、That's、nowadays,、true. in twenty twenty three. She was feeling really sick that day, and yet she was still forced to go outside and clean the windows. Ordered. Ordered. She was ordered. She was ordered by Abby, and then later on, when she came back in from cleaning the windows, Lizzie had asked her if she had cleaned the windows, as、yeah. if if she hadn't already. Lizzie was going to get her to do that. She had like no time to herself. No. She was right after she was done being sick outside too. She was asked to clean the windows, and then right after that, she'd come back in to open the door, and then she'd gone upstairs to sleep. And she hadn't even gotten to sleep. She'd only been up there for a couple minutes, and then she was called back downstairs and ordered to run across the street, and then ordered to run down the street. This poor lady. <laughs> This poor lady. And there's also like they didn't use her name. They used a fake name that wasn't even close to hers. Like it's just dehumanizing. Unless that was a pet name for all、yeah. of their maids, which I do not believe was the case. That's really disrespectful. Yeah, I don't think it was a term of endearment. I think that they just. I agree. Didn't want to. I think that they were trying to make her seem less of a person in their eyes and in her eyes, and I understand why someone might snap. Yes, yeah. And Bridget also said that one of the reasons that she had a hard time, in addition to you know the like treatment, not that she said outright that the treatment was bad, but from like the facts that we've just discussed, we believe that the treatment was like less than stellar. She did. Mentioned that the tone in the house was off. That was what she found really difficult, and that was when she told investigators that was what led to one of her first attempts to leave. Right. Yeah. There was so much tense, tense energy in the house. Yeah, and everything was like every nothing run together really.、Mm-hmm. Everything was just sort of a cog on its own, and nothing was really working and. I think she struggled a lot because everyone needed something different from her because no one was working as like a full functioning team. Yeah, and so, she was the only staff that they had. Yeah,、right? she had to do everything for four people. Yeah, and there are reports that maybe Lizzie could have treated her better than other people in the house. That maybe they could have possibly had a bit of a special relationship. It's just a rumor. I'm not saying that this is fact. But it's Pride Month, so we gotta talk about you it. You know what? That's a good point.、Yeah. It is Pride Month. So there's a rumor that Bridget and Lizzie were romantically involved, and this was something that was generally suspected of Lizzie, just in general, that she could have not been just like a straight lady looking for a man to settle down with, you know? <laughs> and it could have just been townsfolk and media trying to add more. Scandal because this was very taboo at the time. This was not allowed to、True. like an already scandalous situation, an already、yeah. scandalous case. But there are 
rumors that possibly Andrew or Abby could have caught the two in a compromising situation. And then whether it was spur of the moment or more planned out, they could have acted together to either cover it up or actually enact the murders themselves Mm -hmm. to, you know, um, cover for themselves. Because I I don't know what the consequences were at the time for this, but it wouldn't have been good. This was, like, more serious in their eyes than Lizzie's shoplifting or, you know, Andrew just generally being a not nice person. This was, like, Mm -hmm. a big scandal that could kind of tear their family apart. Yeah, so even in my lifetime, like, my grandmother imprinted on me how important, like, you have a family name. That whenever you go and do something, you're reflecting on the family name. So everything that you do is connected to the family. And my grandma instilled that in me too, like in this day. So imagine like way back then how worse it would have been. So one of the theorized things is you're going to ruin my family name like that. Well, I'm going to take you out of the will. And that's why John came to be a witness for him taking Lizzie out of the will. Yeah. It was was very serious. It was very serious, and it was dangerous for both women to be in this situation if this was, in fact, the case. Of course. We're not saying that it was. No, we're not saying that it was. But it was dangerous for them both, even physically, especially Bridget, because she didn't have the, um, the backing of a social standing behind her, and she was deemed as less than a person because she was working class and not from there. So And she was, like, half of, half their age. She was, yeah. She was a lot younger. She was in her mid-twenties at the oldest. So, like, she was young. And she was new to this family, new to this area. She could have done something to protect herself or Lizzie. Or Lizzie could have done something to protect them both. After things happened, Bridget stayed in the house for two days and then left. Mm-hmm. And never came back. And I think she actually started working for the county jail. Okay. Yeah. Which was a weird parallel. Yeah. Unless you think that they're still in a relationship. And that she thought... She could maybe see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was always, like, adamant that Lizzie was not guilty, though. She always, like, thought that Lizzie was... Or maintained that Lizzie was innocent. Everything that she said pointed to Lizzie being innocent. Yes. Yeah. Our next suspect is John Morris. Could he have seen how his nieces were living and been enraged enough to kill Andrew and Abby? Or perhaps he was there to discuss the will, and he discovered that he had been cut out of it, despite being part of the family for so long, mm-hmm. you know? There's also a theory that potentially, similarly to Lizzie and Bridget, Lizzie and John had something going on. Mm, that's gross. It's also very taboo, and would have probably ruined the family in the same way that... Not in the same way, because back then they would have probably viewed one as worse than the other, but would have still affected the family greatly. Mm-hmm. It was probably something that Andrew would have made sure didn't happen. Yeah. So John returned back to the house after the murders at around noon that day and gave the police an alibi that they described as almost too detailed. Like, he knew the it's names weird. of the horses and the people that were on the carriage with him or the streetcar, and he knew the number of the streetcar and the number on the conductor's hat. And the conductor said that he hadn't seen John that day. There were also four priests Mm -hmm. in the car that he named, which, even though the conductor said he didn't see him, he remembers the priests. Yeah. So he had to have been there. Yeah. Really. That's, like, concrete evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. He did also apparently claim that he was with the town doctor, Dr. Bowen, or the family physician, Dr. Bowen. Oh. But Dr. Bowen doesn't corroborate that. He says, like, no, I wasn't there. Well, that's silly. I was, you know, investigating the murders. (laughs) That is so silly. Why would you say that? I don't know. 
but apparently he did and apparently it's not true um <laughs> plus he was staying in the same room that abby borden was murdered in mm-hmm. which is not like proof at all but it's like weird yeah so um lizzie said that she didn't even know really that john was there like she said she hadn't seen him at all he arrived the day before and she did not come down to greet him even though she knew that he was staying in the room next to hers because she heard him she didn't come down to greet him and she waited not that she potentially waited but or intentionally waited but she didn't come down to breakfast until after he left so she had not laid eyes on him the whole time oh interesting okay Mm -hmm. he also didn't bring a whole lot with him like, he didn't bring a suitcase full of clothes and stuff. He barely brought anything. Oh. As if he wasn't really planning to stay long. But he was staying with the family. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But also bears noting that he worked, apparently, as a butcher. Oh, that's an interesting mm-hmm. fact. Uh-huh. So he knew his way around an axe. Or a hatchet. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is weird that if somebody had been watching the family, like, we suspect, because they knew all about what Bridget was doing that day... That they would have planned these murders or these attacks for when John was around in the house. Yeah, it's weird that they, the, whoever did this would have chosen to do it when they had, like, another person staying at the house. True. That's just a whole other person that you have to avoid, right? Yeah. And they'd have had no way to figure out his usuals because he was never there. Yeah. There are theories that perhaps he could have been coerced into doing this by the sisters. That's a theory. Like, maybe they put on the silly girl act and we're like we need someone to help us out of this horrible situation that we're in we're living in poverty essentially and he was like okay i'll do it or they could have paid him off to do it if especially if andrew left him out of the will they could have you know we'll give you x amount of our inheritance it's plausible it's plausible Mm -hmm. he could have gotten angry at abby and lost his temper because she was in his room so it's like why was she in his room that's that's a good point yeah so like maybe, maybe she was looking at the stuff that he brought in his room instead of actually cleaning yeah or maybe she found something that she didn't want to find mm-hmm. like a murder weapon mm-hmm. and then he came up and attacked her and then he had to also get rid of andrew to cover up what he had done mm-hmm. and just to foreshadowing for the rest of the podcast <laughs> the ghosts seem to think that he did it <gasps> oh i got chills again oh no <laughs> do they actually um, what do they say you'll get into it i'll get into okay. it <laughs> but they do seem to think that it was him but maybe that's just confirmation bias depending on whether or not you believe in ghosts John is a, an, an interesting character. He's kind of like a wild card in this situation because it's like we don't know much about him. I will awesome. say, mm-hmm. he does look like Abraham Lincoln <laughs> if Abraham Lincoln was off-putting. That's nice. You know, like, you know when you see, like, pictures or, like, footage or whatever of, like, Ted Bundy? Oh, or, like, boy. <laughs> Richard Ramirez or whoever? Mm-hmm. Like, just a bad guy? Yeah, and you can tell. And you don't want to make eye contact with him? Mm-hmm. I get the same feeling from his pictures. Like, I don't want to look at his eyes. That's absolutely frightening. Did you feel that way after you knew about the paranormal or before? I only saw pictures of him in the videos, but they hadn't, like, gotten to the point where the ghosts were talking yet. Mm. But it's not that he's unattractive or anything like that. It's just that his... His eyes are, like, piercing. You don't want to look at his eyes too long. No. He has a nice face. Like, not... I mean, there's nothing 
jarring about his face. There's no, yeah. It's, it's just his eyes. You just don't want to look at them too long. And I don't get the same feeling with anyone I, else. It's not just the pictures. Like the time, mm. you know, the black and white off-putting pictures. It's not just that. It's just him. I don't know why that is. Because I don't... I did not have that reaction to Lizzie's picture. No, not Lizzie's, not Andrew's. Mm-hmm. None of them. But his, I, I got like a weird chill. Interesting. That is not proof. That's not... No, it's not. <laughs> not. We're not endorsing that as a fact. No. That is just me <laughs> To be <saying> clear. <laughs> he, he's an interesting character. <laughs> Um, so William Borden is our next suspect. Wow. Have you heard of him? No. Okay. I have not. So there are speculations that Andrew actually had an illegitimate son. And when the son, possibly speculations, allegedly, all the conjecture that I can add to that, found out (laughs) that he wasn't in the will, he (gasps) killed his father for revenge. So I don't think there's like a whole lot of evidence surrounding this, but it is something that a lot of people bring up as evidence so it's like worth mentioning and it's kind of weird okay there are reports that lizzie mentioned a wild-eyed man lurking around the property yes Mm -hmm. there's actually two occasions where she said that there was a man like summer before yeah there was a man and then the night before yeah and you could say that that was just lizzie trying to preemptively cover up yeah draw attention away from totally yeah but it's also like weird you know if you believe that lizzie didn't do it who was this man lurking around the property yeah Mm -hmm. but again there's not a whole lot of proof that he even existed this is just something that a lot of people bring up as a potential suspect right yeah interesting yeah Hmm. so the last one i have is lizzie okay well this one's a big one this one's a big one (laughs) there are a lot of reasons or a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing towards lizzie well said Part of this evidence is that she had recently purchased prussic acid. Tried to purchase. Tried to purchase. She couldn't, she, she wasn't able to actually do it, but she did try to purchase it. And this, she said that it was for cleaning her seal skin for a coat or something like that, or her yeah. capes, which is not generally the intended use. No. So it was a couple days after the murder was put to the public mm-hmm. and the um, clerk or the... Um, what do you pharmacist? Yeah, the pharmacist who was working at it that night came forward to say that he was quite sure that it was Lizzie who'd come in asking for it. And she'd also apparently, or according to him, she'd also stated on a couple times that she had been in previously a couple times to purchase this for her coats. This mm-hmm. was not new. First she came in to ask for it and he was like, well, what do you need it for? And then she said, and then he's like, well, that's not typically what we do it. And I can't issue it without like a prescription or a doctor or something, something. And then she said, well, no, I've bought it here a couple times. And for the record, there's no record that she's ever bought it before from that pharmacy or any others in the area. Right. I tried to do like a little bit of research into it. And apparently like even like a teaspoon can really make you sick. Yeah. And the family was experiencing sickness at this time. However, Lizzie herself was also feeling sick. And there were reasons that they could have gotten sick, right? Yeah, there are reasonable things that could have led to this. Yeah, and she also didn't actually get her hands on this poison. Not as far as the investigation can tell. As far as we could tell, she wasn't Mm -hmm. able to. Women, when they kill, generally do prefer to use um, a weapon such as poison. Yeah, Because it's not as physical and violent. Yeah, let's talk about the dress that she wore on the day of the murders. Okay. So she wore 
a dress that was apparently not her regular day dress when the investigators showed up. She didn't have like a lot of options for outfits to wear at the time. Mm. You know, it wasn't like they had an outfit for every day of the week. They had like a couple that they would change out, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't wearing her regular day outfit. So the night of the murders, Lizzie's friend Alice Russell stayed with the sisters and we talked about her. This had happened before they were individually called in to be questioned. Yeah. And she still had serious loyalty towards Lizzie. Mm -hmm. And she decided this was her friend and she wasn't going to say anything. Right. Yeah. And then she got back home and was overcome with guilt and went back to the police station and told them. So what she told them was that she had seen Lizzie burning a dress. And Lizzie claimed that this dress was stained with paint and just couldn't be salvaged, which I think Emma said was a common practice in the family, mm-hmm. but nobody had ever seen this happen before. It's worth noting, too, in the trial, there was a dressmaker and a painter that also said they agreed that the dress was stained with paint. Okay. So this was, like, a thing. But it was not the dress that Lizzie was wearing when everyone arrived on the day of the murders. I think it was one of her regular day dresses that she was burning. When she was investigated or questioned, the investigator asked her if she changed her clothes at all. And she said that she'd only changed once before the murders happened. Okay. Like, woken up and gotten into her day clothes? No. Like, had her day clothes on, and then in at some point in the day, before she found Andrew, but not before the investigators came, she changed her dress. That's interesting, because she had breakfast at 9, the murders happened at 11, why'd she change her dress twice in that time? Right? So she said only twice. She had two different outfits. But there are other testimony from, I want to say Bridget and maybe Dr. Bowen, that she actually changed three times. So there's a missing dress. So the dress that she had on between the murder and the investigators, there was a third dress in there. So she was in a different dress when the investigators came. Okay. But she denies that. The dresses at the time were like kind of old school, kind of hard to get in and out of by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's weird that she would have just like changed, especially because she didn't have a whole lot of options for clothes to change into. That is weird. I haven't heard that. Yeah. But that is, it is even weirder when you think that yeah. she had limited options. Because it's not like, you know, Andrew was giving them a whole lot of money to buy a new wardrobe That's all the time. true. There is, like, more rumors surrounding Alice and Lizzie's relationship. <gasps> like, maybe, maybe Lizzie didn't reciprocate or perhaps something happened between the two of them. Or perhaps there was, like, another love interest involved oh, and my Alice gosh. got mad at Lizzie for whatever reason in this particular way and then decided if you're not gonna be who I want you to be to me then I'm going to I don't know, want you <laughs> I'm gonna sell you out whoa yeah because she really was so gung-ho for Lizzie yeah and then she completely like like instantly mind. Yeah, yeah she flipped yeah. and so even when she walked in, because she was coming back to the house mm-hmm. when Lizzie was doing that. Emma, they were in, I think, they were in a room. Her and Emma were together in a room. I want to say it was the kitchen, but okay. I am not sure. And Alice came in and said something along the lines of, like, are you sure you should be letting us see that? Or are you sure that's a good idea? Something mm-hmm. to say, like, to say without saying, like, if you're burning the murder dress, like, <laughs> don't do it in front of anyone. What are you doing? Yeah. 
And that's when Lizzie was like, oh no, I just got paint on this dress and I'm getting rid of it. And then I think Liz, or I think Alice walked away and then came back and said something else about like, you really got to be careful or something because mm-hmm. this looks bad mm-hmm. and you shouldn't let anyone see because then, you know, we don't want to be caught into anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's weird that Lizzie would be burning any dresses afterwards because I assume she doesn't seem like a woman who lacked intelligence and I think that anyone would be able to tell that that looks bad. Thank you. That's exactly what Alice said. That looks bad? Yeah, something like you really shouldn't be doing this after a murder and then Lizzie was like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me? Like, before I did it. (laughs) Was that supposed to read your mind? That sounds like like an argument that a couple would have. It does. Yeah. What motive could she have had? So, she had spent her entire life living below her means and she was publicly unhappy about it it's also said that her she was having a hard time finding her place because she her father didn't approve of you know a certain level of class because they were of an upper class Mm -hmm. that made it more difficult for her to find someone but they also didn't fit in with upper upper class so no one from that class wanted her so really she felt like she didn't belong anywhere yeah she was incredibly isolated She didn't have a whole lot of friends. She didn't have options for what she could do with her future. She was just kind of stuck at home, living a life that she wasn't happy with, and with no real way to change it. Her father also wouldn't let her work. I think I was told that. Yeah, and he maybe wasn't the nicest to her. Pigeons. (laughs) Specifically to her pigeons. (laughs) Yeah, she could have blamed her father's frugality for the reason that she was isolated from the lower class and the upper class because she wasn't allowed to buy nice clothes to go to nice events that the wealthier people were also attending and she also couldn't you know go into town and hang out with the workers of the docks or whatever (laughs) she wasn't allowed to do anything she was stuck and then especially because andrew previously like recently before this happened took something away from her that was one of the only things that she had for herself. Yeah. One of the only things that she, like, really seemed to care about. She didn't do anything about it. She can't, like, yeah, leave. that's true. Yeah. She was stuck. She had gone on a trip a couple years before. At some point in the couple years before, she got on a trip. And her cousin, who also had the Borden name, was also on this trip. Mm-hmm. And they were on a boat heading back home and they were you know kind of relating and heart to heart (laughs) and lizzie said that she didn't want to go back home because it was not a happy place so it's also kind of speculated that she could see her other family on the hill and how they would be like you said all dressed up and they'd go to all these things and she was like why can't i not do that it said that she was prone to darker moods and she could have had a bit of a temper like Andrew. She took after him, mm-hmm. and he was known to be kind of bad-tempered, which could have contributed to her isolation, but it also kind of points to the fact that maybe there could have been something deeper going on. And, you know, obviously if you're mentally ill, you're not going to kill your father and your stepmother, but... Not usually. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, you know, he kills your pigeons, in which case you might. Well, that's kind of understandable at that yeah. point. Like, it's not crazy that she would have maybe snapped, you know? Especially when you don't have any other ways to let out your aggression. Because, mm-hmm. like, in other, some other, you know, true crime cases, you have someone that everyone says, they're so calm, they're, you know, super kind, and they stick mm-hmm. to themselves, and I've never seen them raise their voice. 
until they do it once and completely explode and punch a wall and break down a door and like do a lot of damage to everything that's nearby yeah it's not a healthy way to live you gotta like you have to regulate how you're relieving your stress yeah and she didn't have options exactly yeah but it is weird that she if she did it it's weird that she would have chosen the method in which she chose because mm-hmm. it's a far jump from poison, which is seemingly what she may have attempted before, mm-hmm. to, you know, 18 times with a hatchet. Yeah. That's like a huge difference. Mm-hmm. She could have also hired someone or manipulated someone into doing this for her, such as her uncle or right. an unnamed man. But the house is laid out so weird that I feel like it must have been someone who was familiar with the house. And it was obviously someone familiar with Andrew and Abby. Someone who didn't like either of them. Yeah. Specifically, didn't like Abby because she was hit more. But it also had to be someone who had the presence of mind to do that to Abby and then stop and hide and then do that to Andrew. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, it's such like a weird... Like a weird rift between the like the violence of the attack to sitting and waiting for two hours in between. And not doing it to anyone else. Yeah. It's really off-putting. <laughs> I think that's why I can't sleep, because it's like, who has... Like, I understand snapping in, a, in like a fit of rage. Like, I, I, that is a thing that happens a lot. Totally. And you hear so many cases about that. Yeah. But like, the waiting. The waiting is so weird. The, the waiting is just so ominous and creepy. <laughs> unsettling even the like stopping the stopping plus the waiting yeah having the restraint to be like okay i gotta stop now i gotta stop and now. i'm gonna go over here because and no one's gonna see me yeah <laughs> like and, like what was what were what was this person doing for those yeah right goosebumps. <laughs> what were they doing for those two hours were they just sitting there staring at abby or andrew or bridget watching to see what was gonna happen yeah because like this person must have known or at least had like a plan in mind if someone came into the house and saw Abby in this time because there was like two hours and there were many people in and out of the house at the time. And like we mentioned before, when Bridget came into the house to open the door for Andrew when he got home, she said that she heard Lizzie from up the stairs. So if the whoever did it was up the stairs, when Lizzie was also up the stairs or near the stairs... Yeah. And maybe Lizzie didn't do it. And maybe the reason Bridget could be so sure that Lizzie didn't do it is because she knew who did it. That's true. I will say. The strongest piece of evidence to me that says that Lizzie did not actually do... Like, she herself did not murder them is that there were so... There's so much force. Like, bones in the skull were completely crushed and fractured. There's a lot of force in addition to the object being sharp. And there would have been a lot of, like you said, from the photos, There, it was obvious that there was a lot of human matter <laughs> all over everything. And whoever did it, because they were facing both the front and the back, they would have gotten, it would have gotten everywhere. Like skin, clothes, everything, unless they were wearing a full suit, which they probably were not, because I can't picture that back then. <laughs> yeah, like a hazmat suit. Yeah. Yeah. And there was so little time between when Andrew got home and when the police were called, which is factual, because people saw Andrew outside, which I'll get into later. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously, the police. We know that the police were called when they were called because yeah. <laughs> that's a record. There's so little time that there's no way that she could have gotten cleaned up in time to contact Bridget, 
who also didn't have anything on her. So neither of them could have done it. Not on their own. Yeah. So the movie Lizzie, starring Chloe Sevigny, I think, sorry, um, and Kristen Stewart. I watched it, and a lot of it was, like, completely inaccurate, but they did have this one part of the movie where, in the movie, the two of them team up, and because they were in a relationship in this Mm -hmm. movie, not in real life, maybe in real life. We um, don't know. (laughs) But they teamed up and basically enacted the murders, the two of them. Lizzie was the driving force behind it in the movie, Mm -hmm. and Bridget was just kind of there to cover it up. And while she was supposed to help, she couldn't, because she didn't have the the ability, um, the temperament, the personality to kill someone. okay. But they did... Partly, probably, to make it more salacious, because it's a movie, (laughs) they did have the two women stripped down, completely naked, (laughs) to do this murder. Mm -hmm. So, that could have been a thing that happened. So, the prosecution Mm. in the trial brought that up. Did they? Mm -hmm. Actually, no. It was the defense in the trial. In the closing statement, the defense was saying all these things like, you know, she never could have done it. And it's even more outrageous to think that she stripped down in the nude to commit these things. Because then she was sitting in the trial. There's a trial. Lizzie gets into a trial. Okay. She's tried for murder. But if you don't know that by now. (laughs) She um, was sitting there in this beautiful high class dress with gloves on and a fan in one hand and a bouquet in the other hand. And she was sitting there like this. And there was no way that anyone could believe that. And the reason that the defense brought that up is because there were rumors that the prosecution was going to bring that up okay right as a tactic yeah so they were saying basically like she would never strip down naked to murder people like how high class she is and yeah they were yeah look at this woman she's just like your wife she's just like your daughter yeah would any of them do that how outrageous to think that there's a fiend capable of doing that in the nude yeah okay (laughs) So that's where the movie got it from. Probably. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think that that's, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk more about the trial now? Now that we're... Sure. Well, I have a lot about the trial and I have a lot about the investigation. I'm sorry. This is going to be a long episode. I've just come to realize that. <laughs> oh, of course it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go kind of um, back to a bit of a timeline. So we're going to go back to when... Lizzie was first being questioned by the investigators following the murders. Detective Norton, he's the one that interviewed everyone in the beginning. So he's a pretty big part of this. To start off, I want to mention, he um, was very frustrated interviewing Lizzie. <laughs> she was on morphine. She was on morphine. This is true. We have to remember she's, she was on morphine immediately afterwards and her morphine was actually increased closer to the trial. So she was on it continuously then? Yes. Okay. Somewhere suggested that she was also maybe on something before this happened as well, but I'm not really sure. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the reason why Detective Norton was so frustrated is because Lizzie Wood was not an easy person to interview. She had a number of interviews over the course of a couple days because, you know, she's still fragile and she's on morphine and she's tired and she's just gone through like a really horrible situation so they tried to break it up and they also went in between people because you know they talked to bridget and get more information and then come back to lizzie and all that stuff so day to day 
Lizzie would change her answers to the same question. And that became very frustrating to Detective Norton. And eventually he would say things like, when I asked you this yesterday, you told me this. And she would say things like, well, I obviously didn't understand the question. Or, no, you actually did not ask me that yesterday. You asked me this. So I answered this, which was actually not true. Okay. <laughs> so it's like a little bit gaslighty, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. So yeah, he became quickly frustrated with her. He also asked her the same questions pretty much every day because he needed to get to the bottom. So like he needed to find out how often John was at the house. And for some reason, she did not want to tell him that information. She was like, I don't know, I'm not at the house myself. Which then she gave away different information that she was not at the house, which leads people to believe, well, you must not have had a very good relationship then if you were not at the house. Okay. She also did not want to tell him about her relationship with Abby, even though he knew that she told the detective. I don't know if I said this before, actually. So when the police came following the murders, um, one of them had asked, do you know anyone that would want to hurt your father or your mother? And she said, Abby's not my mother. My mother died when I was two. Right. Yes. So that was on record. So he knew that they didn't have a very good relationship and he really wanted to find out why. And she just danced around the question and changed her answers all the time. She also changed her answers as to where she was and what she was doing that day and her events and why she was there. And I have all of that. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So according to Lizzie, this is her, at least her first events of what she did. She said that at some point in the morning, she went upstairs. And even though when she was interviewed the day before, so I guess this is second day interviews, she's retelling, retelling things. She said at some point she went upstairs, which corroborates with Bridget saying that she heard her from upstairs. And even though she'd previously said the day before that she had stayed downstairs all day. Um, and then eventually she said that she went to the second story of the barn to get the sinkers. And she then argued with the detective about why they would be keeping the sinkers or any fishing stuff in the barn at all, let alone on the second story, and why they keep the fishing lines in the house while the sinkers are in the barn. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And she couldn't come up with any explanations about that. So then she stayed with the barn theory. And the detective later asked, well, why were you at the barn for so long if you were just looking for sinkers or like a metal so that, that you can make a sinker out of. That seems like an abnormally long amount of time to be looking for something. Because I think she was in there for maybe 10 minutes. I mean, arguably it should only take you like five. Right. <laughs> Two. <laughs> okay. Because um, she made it sound like it, she knew where it was. She was just heading to the barn. Right. As normal to get the sinker. And she eventually later said that well, she while she was up at the second story, she saw a curtain that needed to be fixed. So she fixed that. And then she also ate a pear. And she was later called out on that because she didn't eat breakfast. She told Bridget she was not going to eat any breakfast because she still felt sick from the night before. Okay. So then why, a little bit later, would she go and eat a pear in the barn? What? Especially (laughs) the barn where her beloved pigeons were just killed. Yes. Yeah. Weird. Weird. (laughs) I'm just going to spout off all the information, by the way. Okay. Like that. like that just happened. Okay. These are all the things that happened that the detective were able, was able to get out of her. He eventually got out what happened five years ago that made her stop calling Abby mother. So, according to this, there was a house on 
4th Street that was owned by Abby's family. And Abby needed to sell this house. So Andrew decided to buy it and give it to Abby, even though he refused to do anything like that for his daughters. Okay. And he also reportedly bought property for Abby's extended family as well, like Abby's sister and her, or her stepsister and her extended family over there, which is not great when you're not doing that for your own flesh and blood. No. But. <laughs> okay. Lizzie and Emma found out about this and they were really upset saying specifically, if you can give her a home, you ought to give us a home. So that's how they got this house. Right. It was, she made it sound like it was a peace offering because he kind of messed up. <laughs> right. So the one that they bought for like a dollar from him and then sold back to him. Yes, exactly. Okay. So from the detective, he wondered if, as I mentioned before, he was wondering why would Andrew want it back? Like, why would he give it? Why would he buy it back from them? The only reason he could come up with was it was because he was going to cut them out of the will. And was going to give them something so that they weren't left with nothing. Who would the will go to, though? Like, if he... Abby. Okay, right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, I think you're right, because if 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 he had died before Abby, then it would have gone to her. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and like you said before, we don't know who Abby's family was. Yeah. But she did have the stepsister named Sarah. Like, I, there are reasons why he might have wanted to cut Lizzie out of the will, or rumors about why he wanted to cut Lizzie out of the will. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why he would want to cut Emma out. I don't think there's anything about that. Yeah, I agree. Emma just kind of feels like she maybe got caught in, like, the crossfires between right. Lizzie and her father. And maybe, like you said before, where Emma, maybe because she was older, had to take on a maternal figure, she stayed with Lizzie because she'd been her maternal figure. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. In a bad way. In a, in a horrible way. <laughs> None of it's good. None of it's good. None of it's good at all. Like we said before, Lizzie thought she saw a shadowy figure around the house. Right. So the last time she'd seen the shadowy figure was actually the day that Emma left. So two weeks before this happened. She was returning home from being out and around. And there was a shadowy figure on the steps of the house. And it was, she was just far enough away that she couldn't really see who it was, but she knew that it was a man because the person was not wearing a dress that flowed when they ran away. Was Lizzie seeing things? There's a lot of questions about what conditions she might have had. It's not talked about in the trial at all, but nowadays people are wondering if she maybe had bipolar disorder, which doesn't give you really, it doesn't necessarily give you hallucinations, but schizophrenia might be more likely to give you hallucinations. Bipolar disorder, it affects the gray matter in your brain, which is the part of your brain that controls your emotions and your thoughts, which would explain maybe why she was so stoic, but has the potential to just completely lash out. And it's also possible because Andrew, like you said, kind of had the same traits that maybe he also had bipolar disorder. Yeah. Also, we are not doctors and have we don't really have any... We, don't, we are not able to say whether or not she had it. Thank you. This is, <laughs> like, it's been like over a hundred years and they didn't have words for this type of thing at the time. No. Do you want to know what they, what in the trial they said she had? What? Hysteria because His... it was her period. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awful. I hate that. That was, a, that was a reoccurring theme, is that she had hysteria 
because and it was heightened because it was her time of the month and she just completely lost it. It's always hysteria. Mm-hmm. It's always hysteria with them. It is. It's really fun. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's oh, really great. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I will say, you know, obviously mental illness does not make someone a murderer. Whether that's you know, general Absolutely anxiety not. or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder anything. or psychopathy. Even psychopathy, it doesn't make you a murderer. None of those make you a murderer. It's just bears mentioning. Yeah. yeah. Brain chemistry is a super interesting thing. Yeah. Very complex. It affects everyone. Yeah. Differently. Um, he did kill her pigeons, I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> We're going to keep coming back to that. <laughs> so now I think I'm going to get more into the truck. Because I've kind of said all the most important things. Everything else kind of just mostly comes out in the trial now. Okay. The detectives did talk to everyone, like I, like we said. John had a pretty solid alibi. Bridget also had a pretty solid alibi. And so the last one was Lizzie. And that's why I mostly only talked about Lizzie there. In the trial, they didn't really mention any other suspects, right? Like any like random people in town or like... Not really. Um, okay. So as far as I saw... Most of the people said that Andrew didn't actually have very many enemies. And none of them could think of anyone that would want to hurt Andrew. Even around, like, the pubs. Because Lizzie made it sound like there were a couple madmen out there talking really bad in the pubs about how they were going to murder Andrew with a hatchet. But no one said that they heard any of that. Yeah. But so, oh, he yes. did have a casket-making business, and he may have done some questionable things to the people who lived in those caskets after they passed away. <laughs> um, <sighs> so what if they were ghosts? I'm just saying, what if maybe the ghosts <laughs> did it? You never know. You really never know. She it's certainly see, possible. Like, shadowy figures. Maybe it was a ghost. Ew. <laughs> maybe the ghost did it. Ew. Okay, well, that's frightening. <laughs> Better than Lizzie. At the very least. (laughs) I don't think they mentioned in the trial at all his business or him. They really only talked about Lizzie and the suspects. Okay. That we have already talked about. Yeah, so they ruled out pretty early on that it would maybe have been a random attack. Because obviously it wasn't, right? Within the first few days, I think, they thought that it was Lizzie. Okay. Yeah, because um, at one point in the first few days, a detective had come to the house and Lizzie'd asked if there are any suspects. And for some reason, Emma seemed to already know that Lizzie was a suspect, but like didn't say anything. And the detective was like, well, you. <laughs> and it's <laughs> awkward. I know. And it said that Emma was said something like, we tried to keep it from you as long as we could. Which is weird, because I don't understand why Emma would know. Because you don't share with other people, really who a suspect is because i don't yeah. know that they could have um, really ruled emma out that quickly but i guess maybe they did and shared with her as a surviving family member that they were suspecting her sister yeah i mean i don't think that they would have suspected emma too much because she was seen as more demure than that's Lizzie, true and she was also older and therefore more established in their minds but also she was a woman yes well i can't kill no absolutely oh. not oh you also mentioned this before Lizzie was supposed to be going on a trip on the 4th. I don't think oh, it was. Oh, I lied. She was supposed to be currently away on a trip. She oh. was supposed to leave maybe five or so days beforehand. But because she was secretary treasurer of one of the um, churches, yeah, she had to delay 
her leaving because she had a meeting the day after the murders happened on the 5th. And then she was going to leave the day after, after her meeting. Okay. So she was actually supposed to not be there. But last minute was like, sorry guys, I got to stay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So that was another odd thing. Mm -hmm. Like almost maybe she was like, okay, well now I have to do it. Emma's gone. Emma's gone home. I can... Now is my chance. And, and then, then when John came, she's like, maybe. <laughs> she's like, oh no. She That's was- why she didn't go and say hi, maybe. Because yeah, she maybe she was wondering if John would think that she was still on the trip. I don't know. Now we're Ooh. just speculating. We are speculating. <laughs> this podcast is just full of wild speculations and theories. I don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> Nothing is fact, as we always say. Nothing is fact. We don't mean to disrespect anyone. No. During the trial, the defense... I'm assuming, and a lot of other people are assuming, that this is a defense tactic based on the feelings at the time of, you know, women are always gentle and lesser than and demure and flowers, you know. So Lizzie arrived at the courthouse or during her trial all dressed up. (laughs) She's all dressed up. She had a, I think she might have had a hat on. And like I said, she had... Gloves on, a fan in one hand, and a bouquet in the other hand. We're black, still in mourning. Yes. Yeah. And a good call. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the way that she sat and the things that she did, she really gave off the air that she was super delicate and fragile. She also had a corset that was apparently extra cinched yeah. to make her look extra, you know, fragile. <laughs> yeah. And thin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was probably a tactic. Because they played to that at the end of the trial. You, she couldn't have done it. Make your like wife a, would never have done it. Yeah. Your wife is frail and a woman. And women don't do this. Yeah. Just yeah. to make her look as feminine as possible. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> During the trial, they had, I think, a couple... Or it was time for a judgment to be made, I think. And the medical team said that, oops, we need more time to get more medical results. So the trial was extended. It was in another county. They had to go to another county because they, well, obviously they couldn't go to the same county where all of the jury knew everything that was going on. Yeah. Otherwise, that wouldn't be a fair trial. But they ended up going to a really small courthouse that they already knew initially that there was no way that could have held the number of spectators that wanted to come in and see. Wasn't it a closed trial? That could be wrong. But I think it might have been a closed trial and that it could have only been like the immediate members of pertaining to the case, right? There might have been two trials. Okay. <laughs> or something like that. Because it really sounds like there was a, something closed where there was no jury, and then they extended it, and then the trial happened on Monday, June 5th of nineteen of 1893. Right. The real trial. Because it was just like a one-day thing. Is it an inquest before a trial? A pre-trial? They had a pre-trial. Let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's all very confusing. Okay, so back to the pre-trial. Okay. Yes, so this is the pre-trial. The people go away and they do more tests. So um, the coroner who did the test, he comes into the picture. While he was on the stand, he announced that... I think it kind of made it sound like he was out of the blue, but he announced that their heads were currently with him at the trial. Like in his backpack? Yeah, like somewhere in his vicinity. And that was the first time that um, Lizzie or Emma knew that their parents were buried without their heads. So it's thought that they kind of did this to test the waters, to see how they were going to react. And Emma was distraught. 
she lost it and Lizzie was taken aback so she didn't I mean she doesn't show a lot of emotion but she kind of was she was not expecting it it was jarring so she was startled but quickly she regained her composure and throughout the trial there was someone who paid an awful lot of attention to what Lizzie was doing and it kind of felt like between the beginning and the end everyone was just staring at Lizzie to see how she would react because she never did to the point that when the prosecution would bring up certain points they would make note of when Lizzie would move her foot that's weird so it's like Lizzie made no facial expression but she tapped her foot on the ground or like she shifted in her chair after they said that that's weird someone was really watching very intently also like I know it's 1800s but how was it legal to bury them without their heads and not even inform the family Mm -hmm. that's like crazy even the one that's not on trial yeah like Like tell her ask her consent for this yeah that was crazy that's wild bridget and john were some of the key witnesses in this trial because a lot of not a lot of but some other evidence was later thrown out in court the courthouse that they went to was on Monday, June 5th of 1893. It was in New Bedford and it's called the Bristol County Courthouse. And this was a very small courthouse. This was the actual trial. When Bridget was called to the stand, cause she was called to recount her steps that day. And she gave a lot more information than we'd known before. So Bridget said that after throwing up in the backyard, she came back in and shortly after heard Andrew struggling to get in and proceeded to unlock the door or unbolt the door and let him into the house. While she was doing that, she heard Lizzie laugh behind her because she apparently swore or something at maybe the door was hard to unlock and she let out a swear word and Lizzie heard that and giggled. Okay, that's better than just giggling at the dead body that you found. No kidding. Yeah. (laughs) That's horrifying. (laughs) And she also heard Lizzie, she either heard Lizzie or saw Lizzie coming down the stairs. She didn't see her at the stop of the stairs, but she saw her coming down. And then she heard and saw Lizzie ask Andrew about the mail. And she also, at this point, had told Lizzie and Andrew at the same time that Abby had gone out because of the note that they'd received. And then at this point also, she mentioned to Bridget that Bridget should go down to the market as soon as possible or later in the day because there was a sale on certain really nice textiles at this one place. It's worth mentioning that this place had actually closed down the month before and was not open anymore. So that was a lie. So she was just trying to get her out of the house. It it does seem like it, according to that one. Okay, wow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Bridget also says that it was definitely a habit for Abby to advise when she was, or anyone really, to advise when they were going out of the house. Because Bridget was usually the one that manned the doors. Because they, again, Fort Knox, the doors in the house, and it was hard for anyone to get in. Okay. Even Andrew, the owner. <laughs> right. Because they only had, like, one key, right? Yes. It wasn't like everyone in the house had a key. Well, so they, they only had, I think they only had one key, but they also had, like, a manual lock that if you locked it from the inside, you couldn't unlock it from the outside could only be unlocked from the inside okay. like a dead like a what do you, you know those things like that you latch. slide over yeah a latch okay. yeah exactly i'm okay. not sure if it was a latch but it was something along those lines so bridget also said that she could not fully confirm if she'd locked the screen door after coming inside because she was distracted with andrew immediately after coming inside okay. and then like you said before some point after this lizzie had mentioned oh 
you said the window, but in the notes that I have, it's the door. Okay. So, oh, you left this open. And Bridget couldn't remember if she'd actually closed it and locked it or closed it at all. Right. Because everything happened at the, all at once. And she wasn't feeling well. No, <laughs> oh, she wasn't. Yeah. The prosecution brought into question why Bridget was so well taken care of. Because according to the outside, she was dressed nicer than most maids would be for families. And she also had the ability to kind of go wherever, whenever she wanted as long as her chores were done and the house was taken care of. Which, apparently, the prosecution thought was weird. Like I'm not sure. she had some dirt on the family or something? Something like that. Like, there was a reason that she was able, that she was so well provided for, because that was abnormal. Especially considering how frugal Andrew was with okay. everyone else. Okay. Earlier in the morning, Bridget said that she was downstairs and could confirm that the cellar door was bolted from the inside. And then once Lizzie came downstairs that morning, Bridget immediately vomited outside. And she said she was out there for maybe 10 minutes. This is before letting Andrew in. Sorry. I don't know why I'm going back. My notes are bad. No, your notes are good. I'm just like, there's things that happen in the movie that are making more sense now that oh, you're saying Oh, for things. real? Yeah. She, like, she got sick outside, but it was because she knew about the murders. <gasps> oh. Not because, you know. Actually, in court, she says that right after she let Andrew in, she returned to the windows for just a little bit. And at this point, Lizzie asked her if she'd be going out in the afternoon. And then said, you should be going to the market. I wonder if it was, like, a common practice for her to, like, for them to have conversations like that. Like, oh, there's a sale going on. I don't know. Because she didn't buy really things for the home. And they had a dressmaker. Yeah. Unless it was a dress for herself. Yeah, I'm not sure. Weird. At this point, also, Lizzie said specifically and possibly again, like in repetition, um, if you do go out this afternoon, please lock the door because Abby's not home. So then right after this conversation, Lizzie then went up to bed, or Lizzie, excuse me, Bridget then went up to bed because she wasn't feeling very well. Lizzie kind of just volunteered the information after calling Bridget down after they found Andrew, after she found Andrew, she just volunteered that she was just sort of outside in the yard when she heard a groan from the inside and that's why she came back in. She just volunteered that from what it sounds like. Bridget didn't ask her, how did you find him? What's going on? Mm. She just sort of said that. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the trial, Bridget does under oath say what we talked about before, that she thought that the family dynamic was maybe a little strained and that she tried to quit. And that her wages were raised to get her to stay. I wonder why they wanted to keep her so bad. There's a number of reasons, in my opinion. Like, one is either they know that they're a difficult family to work for, and the last maid they couldn't keep, and they know how hard it will be to find another. Right. Or that Bridget knew something that she shouldn't have known, or she knew too much. There's a lot. Okay, so now that we know where Bridget's were, Bridget was, um, I am going to talk about the house now. Their house was on a busy street that was in, like close to the city center and in uh, close to city hall. Okay. So it's like kind of busy. There's people. Um, the house had three doors. It had a front door, a side door, and a back door to the cellar from the cellar. So it was like the basement. So the steps went up at the back door. The investigators did look to see if there was an intruder that could have gone through the back door, 
but there were cobwebs on the door that were not disturbed and dust. The door was still bolted and there were no footsteps around the back garden. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's like kind of ruled out that no one came through the back door. Right, okay. Yeah. So from the front door, if you step inside, you'll immediately step into a tiny, like a short hallway. Okay. That has two doors. So there's a door on the left, which leads you into a parlor, which okay. I think is maybe like a sitting room. Like yeah, not, not a living room, but like a like a shoe room or something. And so the second door is right in front and it leads into the living room. So the living room is more of an open space. So you have the living room and then on the left you have the dining room and the dining room also leads into a kitchen. Okay. So it's kind of all in one and the kitchen might be a little bit more s separated somehow than the other rooms okay. or than the two rooms. There was also another door at the end of the living room which led directly into the kitchen. Okay. Confusing it? <laughs> <laughs> so once you're in the kitchen, there is a narrow hallway at the back of the kitchen that had stairs up to the second floor, which had um, the eldest daughter's bedroom that passed, and up to the third floor that had Bridget's room in, like, the attic. So they kept the, the room for the two-year-old that passed away? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Because it said that there's a room for the eldest Borden, but there's no eldest Borden. Right. Because Emma sleeps with Lizzie. Yeah. Um, and that's all that you can get to on that side. Right. So going back to the living room, there's another set of stairs. Oh, I lied. I'm so sorry. There's the two doors, and then there's a stairway right from that first hallway. Okay. Yes. And this other stairway leads you to the other side of the second floor. So on the other side of the second floor, there are three doors. Um, the first is a closet. The second is a guest bedroom where John was staying and Abby was found. And the third is Lizzie's. Right. And Emma's. And Emma's. Yes. Okay. And we already mentioned that Emma had to get through Lizzie's room to get in and out. There was a door at the back of Lizzie's bedroom that was locked and bolted that led her right into the master bedroom, which was her parents' room. Yeah. But her parents had also locked and bolted it from their side as well. <laughs> These are my notes. I'm really sorry. Now I'm getting confused. <laughs> I thought that they were all on the same side. So the hallway goes up to the landing, and from there you can see the guest room, or you can walk into Lizzie's bedroom. And Emma's bedroom is attached to Lizzie's bedroom, and Andy, Andrew, <laughs> Andy, I'm not that familiar. <laughs> Andrew and Abby's bedroom is also attached to Lizzie's bedroom, but it looks like they wouldn't have used her entrance to get into their room, but they would have used the other staircase. Interesting. Yeah, so they have okay. a staircase pretty much directly up to their room. Oh, yeah, okay. So their bedroom then was on the way up to Bridget's room. Yeah. Okay, so they were on the other end of the house. Yeah. What a weird freaking house. It's. I don't know, would they have made it specifically for themselves, or... Because I read somewhere that maybe Andrew just didn't want to spend money on hallways, but also <laughs> wouldn't they have just bought the house? What? Because they make the house from scratch. That's, know, a, that's a really weird. good question. I'm not sure. That's a very odd layout for you to make the house yourself. A hallway has to be less expensive than two separate staircases. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It's kind of a perfect, like, hiding house. If you actually were hiding from someone, because, I mean, how are they going to find you? Yeah. <laughs> 
How it's they would a, even get to you? It's a weird house. It's a weird house. We mentioned earlier that they never took any of the murder weapons that they found. So when they went searching again later, they actually found one more thing, which was a handleless hatchet right. that was wrapped in some sort of like cloth, maybe, and also put in a separate box away from all the others. Possibly in a box downstairs that didn't really make the most sense. I'm not also sure how they found it, and there's conflicting information. Some people say that Bridget actually found it. Some people say that Lizzie actually brought it out herself, like went downstairs and pulled it out from the box herself, which doesn't make any sense. So I'm kind of going with maybe the police found it when they did another search to find more murder weapons. Okay. They paid special attention to this one because it looked a little strange. Like I said, there was a weird like powder on it that looked like ash, almost like it had been in a fire. Okay. Maybe. And it didn't match any of the dust that was on the other utensils <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it also had what they called a fresh crack in it, which I am not entirely sure how they found that out. But it sounds like they determined that by it having less wear and tear and like splotches and dirt on it than anywhere else. Okay. Which means that it was probably new. They had access to, like, rudimentary fingerprinting technology at the time, but they didn't trust it. They thought it was a a bogus science. That's silly. So they didn't actually do fingerprints. But I wonder if maybe whoever did it could have possibly used that hatchet and then, like, broke it and then tried to burn it, and maybe they couldn't burn it for whatever reason. So one of the theories is that they broke off the hatchet... Or they either broke off the hatchet themselves or the hatchet broke. And that's why Andrew only received 10 because the handle broke off on the 10th. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) And then they tried to clean the weapon because it was, it was supposed apparently like relatively clean. There was no blood. There was like no matter on it other than this ash and It's also wondered if maybe it was put into the fire to also get more of the blood off of it. Yeah. Potentially. Okay. The fire or the ash would have been more of like a cleansing effort than like a burning something that does not burn. Right. Okay. (laughs) During the trial, when they brought this handleless hatchet out, which eventually was actually given a nickname, Hoodoo was the nickname. They named the hatchet? The potential murder? Who named it? I don't know. but And I don't know why, because it makes no sense. Other than like W-H-O space D-O. But that's not how they're spelling it. They're spelling it like H-O-O-D-O-O. Like who did it? Who done it? Who do? Right. That's how it (laughs) sounds, but they spelled it weird. That's so weird. It's very odd. There's, yeah, it's odd. I don't know what to say about it. But I mean, that was what they did at the time. Like nowadays we give... The murder name, like the Green River Killer or like the Golden Gate Killer or whatever. And they back gave. then they just gave the murder <laughs> weapon a name, like hoodoo. We actually should go back to that instead of giving the murderer credit, like give the weapon credit. Yeah. So when this, when hoodoo was presented in court, he also ominously pulls out a handbag that I think he set somewhere beside him and it was a black handbag. Oh no. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how he did it, but he eventually just pulls out some skulls from his handbag. He, like, sets it beside him ominously and then just opens it out and, okay. 
here to you the skulls, everyone. You know he felt like so cool. Oh, doing you that. know for sure. Just like, this is gonna be like a gotcha moment. I'm like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure where Emma was at this point because they don't really mention her at this point, but Lizzie fainted, which made the jury feel once again that she was a very fragile lady who can't stand the sight of seeing these things or being reminded of this. This fainting spell was quite out of character for her, wasn't it? It was quite out of character, which led many people to think, you know, oh, she she does have emotions. Oh. She just fainted. So I'm going to get back to what we believe are the footsteps of Andrew, according to people that saw him. Like what he did that day? Yeah. Okay. Because no one has really said that apart from they got witnesses to um, say what they saw. Right, and Abby was kind of just in the house all day, so there's no one really to witness what she was doing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, apart from Bridget and Lizzie, who said that she went upstairs to start cleaning. And also, if if Andrew left at, like, what, 9? Yeah. And Abby was murdered between 9.30 and 10.30, she wouldn't have had to be upstairs cleaning for very long before she was murdered okay after having breakfast with the the four of them andrew leaves the house sometime around nine so it's according to witnesses around 9 30 that andrew arrived at the bank and then he went to go and inspect his commercial properties so he there's a period of time where he's unaccounted for he was later spotted again between 10.30 and 10.40 by um, some workers across from one of his buildings. In the trial, also, one of the workers says that Andrew was acting a little weird. Like, he'd gotten to one of these properties and there was a broken lock on the door. And he looked at the lock, and then he like went inside maybe, and then he came back outside and looked at the lock again, and then he walked away, and very shortly after came back and looked at the broken lock, and then just walked away and left the lock broken. Okay. Yeah, and there's no, there's I think there's only one of them that says that, so that's not really, that was not considered as a fact in the trial, but it was just odd. Okay. Um, there was also one person that saw Andrew on his walk to the bank that said that he was looking maybe a little pale, but apart from those two things, everyone else said that Andrew looked totally fine. He was acting fine. There was nothing out of the ordinary for him. So it's not like he suspected anything was going to happen that day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He got home at roughly 10.45, 10.45 to 11, somewhere in there. He got back home. And we've already talked about what Bridget said happened. That's all he did while he was out there. Then he came back home and then he laid down. So it's not like he made any enemies while he was out. He didn't make any enemies, and he also didn't do anything weird. But it was worth a mention because if you think about the idea that someone was watching them, that someone could have been tailing him as he'd gone directly from his house to the bank, and then the bank to commercial properties, and then right back to the house. Yeah. Like, he didn't really go too far out of his normal routine. And then when he got kind of caught at the door because he couldn't open it, that could have given someone time to either sneak in or sneak around to wherever. But they never found any footprints to suggest that that had happened. Like maybe they locked the door so they would hear the struggle of him trying to open it and then be, you know, waiting. Mm -hmm. Ready to wait. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
that's really all that we have on Andrew. And then the rest we already talked about with Bridget. So during the trial, they did also talk to like close friends to see what they thought of Andrew, what they thought of Lizzie. And um, Lizzie's immediate friend said, you know, Lizzie was great. Abby's immediate friend said Abby was great. But they both said that the other was like not so great. Apart from, I believe it was um, Alice's father who said that he did not like Lizzie and knew that she had a temper. We already know there are no women on the jury because women didn't have that right until 1951. And throughout the trial, it was like a reoccurring thing that they, like I said, tried to make her seem very frail. And at one point, they really started to try and push the idea that it was this hysteria because she was a woman on her time of the month and she had a wandering womb, scientifically speaking. Her womb was wandering, (laughs) W-A-N-D. Wandering, which made her hysterical and murder people. What does that mean? It was like her womb was controlling her and made her hysterical, which then made her lash out at her parents. I have (laughs) no idea how to respond to that. It's honestly crazy how men acted at this time. Like, how? They thought they were smarter, but they thought a wandering womb was a thing. I know, it's really confusing. I don't know how that happened. They're so annoying. What the heck? During the trial, there were a few other kind of, you know, aha moments or gotcha moments that happened, but they really weren't. Um, They presented the prussic acid, but it it ended up being thrown out partially because it just... Partially because they didn't see how it could connect, and also partially because one of her lawyers was exceptionally good. And ended up getting the um, pharmacist to admit that he maybe wasn't as clear in his head as he tried to make it seem. And they also brought co-workers of his and other people that knew him to come and say that he had, on a number of occasions, confused people. Okay. Yeah. And also there was one time that he was in a neighboring town and thought he saw someone that he knew and didn't like and started a fight with him and it ended up not being him and he was put in prison. So the guy just had facial blindness. Kind of. Yeah. So (laughs) that was one of the reasons that this accusation was thrown out. And the other was because they were murdered like with brute force and not with poison. So everyone was like, well, this doesn't obviously doesn't connect. Right. Okay. So that was thrown into the trial. Yeah. Um, One of the other pieces of evidence that they brought was a blood-soaked handkerchief or like a scarf that was found right beside Abby and I believe that it had Abby's blood on it but they never really I don't know what they proved with that I think it was maybe another moment to see how Lizzie would react when they brought it out because they like held it out like a look at this (laughs) okay bloody piece of scarf (laughs) so like the skulls didn't they didn't need to have the skulls. The skulls didn't prove anything. Right? The only reason that they brought out the skulls was, again, to, like, shock. Yeah. And also to show the jury, because they're all really trying to convince the jury. So they were trying to show them how bad it was because of how much damage there was to the cavities. Yeah, okay. They could have done it with pictures. I'm sure they had that back then. I hope that they, like, returned the skulls to the bodies after. But I highly doubt that they did. I highly doubt that they did. They were fully buried (laughs) without their skulls. That's messed up. Yeah, it's a bit problematic. The one of the forensic 
investigators was also very problematic in the tests that he used to determine like so he originally said that um he knew that abby had passed away first because her blood was coagulated and she was cold but then the um, prosecutors were like well you can't prove that she was that's not scientific you can't just touch someone and go oh they're colder so they passed first that's not scientific so he had to go and try and find other ways to prove that this happened by bloodletting certain things to see how it would affect the carpet and how bad it would stain and at what point it would coagulate so they could determine at what point the two passed between each other Gross. yeah he's a bit of, i can't i mean i shouldn't say anything but today i have a problem with his methods <laughs> they're outdated very outdated not great <laughs> you also could have just bloodlet yourself okay mm-hmm. another point was made that while kind of felt like Lizzie did her best when she was being questioned originally to um, make sure that John and Bridget were not suspects because she pretty much made it so that they were ruled out immediately. Okay. Which was an odd one. There was another odd thing that happened with Dr. Bowen. So Detective Harrington had seen Dr. Bowen with some scraps of paper and there's conflicting accounts because the one account said that he was by a fire and another account said that he just saw them with the scraps maybe while he was, like, standing somewhere. And um, when he asked them what these were, he, Dr. Bowen said that it was, like, a letter from his daughter. Okay. But Dr. Harrington had already seen the letter and saw the name Emma on it. Dr. Bowen closed up the letter really quickly afterwards, and he also destroyed of a piece of, of an old-looking piece of paper that was really ashy and really oddly, like, crinkled and whatever. And Dr. Harrington, or Dr. Harrington, Detective Harrington was wondering, or he was thinking that it looked almost similar to the hatchet head, like the dust that was on it, oh. or the ash. Okay. And he was like, I wonder if maybe somehow this piece of paper had been wrapped around the hatchet to carry it somewhere before it was wrapped in whatever, and okay. that the letter had something to do with the hatchet head. Okay. But I don't know why it would have Emma's name on it. Right. Unless maybe... Emma was had something, some knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was a will. He did have a safe. But when they checked the safe, there was no will in the safe. Okay. Never found. Never to be found. See, the whole trial, they never presented any new evidence. They only okay. did shock value. Everything that we talked about, they knew. But it went on for days. Okay. And all that they did was repeated things over and over and over again and made people testify over and again, over again about the same things and presented new witnesses to say exactly the same thing. Okay. So there's no new evidence. Everything that we've talked about, they've known and they just continue to go on and on and on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the trial, for information's sake, kind of a bust. There really is nothing here. It's just a lot of re- repetition. So at the end of the trial, they, when the defense was trying to recap everything, the defense had once again, you know, made Lizzie come out in like a very frail looking get up. And in this, this time she actually was wearing something even more mourningful apparently than all the other times. So she really looked like she was mourning. And they'd argued that the reason why Lizzie had changed her answer so much and why she was, you know, confused and didn't know all of this, they didn't mention the morphine, but 
they did mention that she had been pretty much under police surveillance right after that happened. First, she'd found her parents, and then she, her father, and then she had met this terrible detective who was a very powerful man who made her feel uncomfortable. And then she was surrounded by tons and tons of police officers. And even the mayor told her she had to stay inside. So she immediately was made to feel like a suspect. Right. And all of this stress on top of everything in the detective, um, Detective Nolan, asking her all these same questions, she, you know, normally we get confused. And he even asked, you know, how would your wife have handled the situation? Yeah, how would your, your, your woman, how would your silly woman handle this? Exactly. She's just a silly woman. What can you expect? Exactly. I know. And then another question was, you know, these crimes were so forceful that she, how could she have done that? How could she have done that with so much force? Oh, yeah. She's she couldn't enough. have. Not at all. Oh. She can barely lift anything, let alone a finger. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a whole axe? That's too much. That's right. And then there's also a question of the blood splatter, and she was seen minutes after Andrews took place. Yeah. How could she have gotten rid of the blood splatter? And this is when, this is the point when he mentions that, the thing about, what if she did it in the nude? But he kind of said that only a fiend could do something like that. And look at her. Look at your wife. Would your (laughs) wife have done that? Okay. Huh. I don't know, man. I just feel like... My wife wouldn't do that. Lizzie couldn't possibly. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then she sits there with her, like, little fan, like, fanning herself. Yeah, and her tight little corset. Mm-hmm. I would never. Never, so ever. Oh, my gosh, no. And my gloves. <laughs> my gloves. Oh it was also, at one point, said that she had, a, like, a nervous tick, almost, where she would bite the fan. Like, she'd nibble on the fan, which was an odd thing. I didn't write it down, but it's odd. I don't know. That is odd. Yeah. The statement, (laughs) he went on and on about, again, all the things that I just mentioned. But he ended it with a reminder that the death penalty is on the line. And if there's any shadow of a doubt, you cannot condemn a woman to death. Um, within an hour and a half, the jury found Lizzie not guilty, and there are a lot of rumors about how the actual talks went okay. back then. Yeah. So some reports, like some newspapers, said that they actually had a fight back there, and some news reports, one said that someone offered to buy everyone a beer if they would vote for her not guilty, but it's most widely believed that... Once they got there, um, they actually took like a little vote, like a opener's vote to see what everyone said. And everyone actually thought she was not guilty. It was yeah. unanimous. But this was like maybe five or ten minutes into it and yeah. they couldn't just walk back out. So they then were like, well, let's wait an hour and a half. Yeah, I heard that too. There's only like genuinely two ways that someone could have entered the house. You said that there was a front door and a back door and another door. A side door to the yard. Okay, yeah. And the back door was undisturbed, so it wouldn't have been that. The side door, Bridget realized that she could have left open and or unlocked. And the front door was definitely locked until Andrew tried to come in. But then it's it's like likely that Bridget would have locked it right after. But if Lizzie was up at the stairs and Andrew and Bridget were at the door fiddling with it, someone could have come in through the side door. Yeah, Abby would have already been dead at that point. 
That is a good point. So there is like a period of time where theoretically Bridget could have been outside working on the windows. Mm-hmm. Abby could have been upstairs. Um, John and Andrew were out of the house and Lizzie was in the barn. Mm-hmm. And someone could have come in during that time, mm-hmm. theoretically, if they had been watching Bridget to make sure that they were not on that side. But they, they kept the doors locked. At all times. At all times. Yeah. Actually, in the morning, when they were having breakfast, Andrew did go outside for a couple minutes. And he picked some pears from outside and brought them inside. And that was before Bridget went outside. So there was kind of almost always everyone outside from, like, maybe, like, I don't know, 7.30? Yeah. Or 8? Unless the person, if it hadn't, if it wasn't Lizzie, <laughs> if the person had come into the house the night before, during right? the evening, and, like, hid somewhere, like, in that closet that they may have had, mm-hmm. or perhaps under something. Lizzie was in a room, mm-hmm. like, all night, because she didn't want to see John. Yeah. <laughs> and the, she heard either the three of them or the four of them, including Bridget, downstairs chatting. Presumably in, like, either the living room or the dining room. Okay. But then again, there's still no one in the cellar, unless someone had been inside for, like, two weeks after Emma left, because that's the only other kind of period of time that they talk about. Yeah, but then there's no reason that they would have waited so long, especially since John showed up. That seems like the worst time to do it. No kidding. After the day after someone shows up? Yeah. It's really weird. weird. <laughs> they did try another weapon. Like I said, it's I want to say it's like like a corkscrew or like a something weapon. But because there were so many strikes, there were there were different like wounds. Okay. And it was hard to pinpoint it to one weapon. And it kind of almost sounded like maybe at the end of the trial they still couldn't pinpoint it to just one weapon. But the Candleless hatchet was the one most widely believed. Okay. Or the one that made the most sense. Unless, you know, if it had been someone else, they could have taken the weapon with them. Because there was that other attack a while after. Yeah. That was also like a hatchet attack, but it was ruled to be a man who wasn't in the area at the same time as this murder. So yeah. it was ruled He'd out. immigrated from, like, Portugal or something. Yeah. Okay, well... Lizzie was not guilty, proven in a court of law. Exactly. Yeah. After all of that, after all of that runaround and very, very little things, very little new things. Yeah. And a year spent in jail. Yeah. 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 And actually, when they were during trial, she had to stay in the courthouse. Like overnight? Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure there was a room in the second story of the courthouse that she had to stay in because she couldn't stay anywhere else. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, I did want to mention about the jury. I heard that they actually sat for a photo and signed it and then gave it to Lizzie, like a parting gift. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, I think it's like hung, hanging up in the current house, the current boarding house. That's There's fun. just like a picture of that. That's so fun. Yeah. They're all like old men, probably Catholic or Protestant or whatever Lizzie was. They were not Irish. Naturally. None of them were Irish. They were all just like the same same race same gender same around the same age they did that on purpose yeah there was a regular rigorous selection for the jury members okay as in they had to meet a very specific criteria and it sounds like they went through quite a few because they couldn't have anyone that wasn't like a native to that space like nowadays we want as much diversity as possible right 
usually. Yeah, but back then it was just like these guys are all the same. Yeah, it was like I was here first. My people were here first. You don't belong here. Even though we literally weren't. I know. <laughs> Even though they literally were there at second at best. At, at like the best. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not first. Um, so sad. <laughs> but like, it is weird that they signed the picture and gave it to her. Almost as like a, you're welcome for doing this. That you're is welcome for really odd. Off. Yeah. She could not have been tried by a jury of her peers because her peers, women, were not allowed to mm. be on a jury at that point. No. Actually... Something really interesting. The courthouse was really small, but there was a small amount of seats on the inside for spectators. And um, as soon as the trial first started, people said that there were like more women than they'd ever seen in one spot that gathered outside of the courthouse. Mm-hmm. And as the days went on, they got even better about getting into the courthouse to like actually see Lizzie. Yeah. And it was people of all classes. High class, middle, low. Like, if you were a woman, you were there. Yeah. I think that a lot of women rallied behind her. Like, the suffragettes and the church groups that she was a part of, they were all, like, on her side to begin with. Yeah. And I think that that changes at a certain point. But to begin with, they were, like, on her side. Everyone was on her side. It does seem like it changed at a certain point. There's a lot more about the trial. If you were interested in the trial, you should, um listen to a podcast or read a book about how it actually was all played out according to the transcripts yeah because it's really interesting i feel like it's similar to the casey anthony trial where there's just a ton of back and forth Mm. i keep saying that but there just really is and jose baez is like calling everyone out (laughs) and the story keeps changing yeah okay shall we talk about what happened after the trial yes So after Lizzie was ruled not guilty, she and Emma took their inheritance and moved to a house on the hill. Ooh, the fancy hill that they dreamed of. Yes, and it was much nicer than their former home. They hired staff to keep their estate and dubbed the property Maplecroft. Oh, that's a good name. No, we should bring back naming properties. We don't do that anymore, and we should. We should. Lizzie started going by the name Lizbeth to kind of, you know, just distance herself from Lizzie Borden. Oh, okay. I was just gonna say, isn't there, like, a really sad story named Lizbeth? But no, it's Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not the same. Not, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> this did not save her from her neighbors not liking her. Because I don't know when it happened or really why it happened, but at some point the town kind of turned on her and started assuming that she was guilty, even though she was proven innocent. I think part of that had to do with the idea that they kept expecting there to be another person charged. Right. Because there was so much there was so much evidence and they were both there and there were so many witnesses that someone expected someone to be caught. Yeah, but no um, one ever was. Yeah, exactly. And eventually everyone was like, well, maybe you're the only person that went on trial for it, so it must have been you. Yeah, because the case still is not solved. No. No. One evening, during a party, thrown for the actress Nance O'Neill, Lizzie and Emma got into an argument that ended with Emma leaving the home, never to return or to speak to her sister again. She just left. And she maintained until the day that she died that Lizzie was innocent, so people are like, what was this argument about if it wasn't that? That's crazy. 
I mean, you st- stood by her for, for everything, and you've been together for so long. Yeah. There are theories that Nance O'Neill and Lizzie could have been in a relationship, and that maybe Emma found oh. out about this and got mad for whatever reason, and then left. Didn't want to speak to her sister again. Nance O'Neill was beautiful, by the way. I looked her up. I don't think I know who that is. She was a film, I think, but mostly a theater actor. Okay. But it was suspected that they were in a relationship, and this, like, Emma leaving, and Lizzie and her continued friendship with this woman kind of led to more rumors about her. Even though the sisters never, never reconciled, it's weird that they passed away within nine days of each other. Yeah, that's really creepy. Yeah. That's like a weird bond. Yeah, so Lizzie passed away on June 1st, 1927, due to pneumonia. And that same day, Lizzie, or Emma, actually fell and broke her hip. And she passed away nine days later from chronic nephritis. They were buried side by side in their family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. And their assets were divided up among family and friends with 30,000, which is 678,000 today, left to a local animal rescue. That's really kind. Yeah, Lizzie always had a bit of a soft spot for animals. You know, you can see that with the pigeons. and She left no so kidding. much money to the the animal rescue yeah not not seeing that she didn't murder her family though (laughs) she She did she did seem like a really soft soul because she was so she cared so much about so many things like Mm -hmm. she cared about her pigeons she cared about the community because she was always so involved and she cared about the people in her church because she was a secretary like she cared she seemed to care a lot yeah the house is still standing And in 1996, the Borden House was actually converted into a bed and breakfast slash tourist attraction. And it's still operating today. You can still go and stay there overnight. Which is crazy. It's insane. And it's set up pretty much exactly how it was back then. Except now they have pictures on the walls of, like, you know... The people. (laughs) The people and the crime scene. Do they have pictures of the crime scene on the walls? (gasps) Wow. So, there are six rooms available to be booked, including the one that Abby passed away in, and it's more expensive than the other ones. Ew. Mm-hmm. That's so gross. Yeah. They've even added rooms to the basement, so you can sleep there if you really want to. They're a little off-putting, because they are just beds in the basement. Ew. <laughs> they do their best to make it, like, into a, you know... Like a room? A room, but it's, it's not. not. It's just the cellar. It's the cellar. <laughs> Um, they also have romance packages. Stop it. If you're into that. That's so... Yeah. You know what? To each... I shouldn't judge. To each their own. You can get married here. People have. That's... Okay. Isn't that wild? I mean, you're kind of putting your marriage in someone else's hands at that point. Because what if you get cursed? (laughs) You could jinx it. (laughs) If you were going to jinx it anywhere, that would be the place to do it. Yeah. Um, but don't worry, you guys. They do have merch. Including a replica axe of the suspected murder weapon, a Christmas ornament, and coffee for some reason. Why? I don't know. Why don't they have, like, celebratory caskets? (laughs) That should be more accurate merch. They really probably do. They definitely have bobbleheads as well. If you wanted a Lizzie Borden bobblehead. That's awful. Yeah. All of it is bad. Do you think that they have headless bobbleheads? (laughs) (laughs) It's horrifying. Oh my goodness. Anyways, do you want to go stay here with me? 
I mean, not really, but if you really want to, I'll come and support you. I do kind of want to. Not in Abby's room. Can you, like, walk through it without yeah. staying? Yeah, they have tours and stuff. I definitely want to do that. I could do a tour. I don't know that I could, like, stay. But if you, again, if you need, I would do anything for you. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't sleep, but, See, you know, yeah. I would go hunt, maybe. I wouldn't sleep, but I would, I always get to this this happens sometimes when I'm extremely paranoid. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be so paranoid and so worked up that I will use up every ounce of energy that I have in my being until I literally pass out <laughs> okay. and then wake up very shortly after because I'm remembering, I've gained enough energy in the 10 minutes that I've been asleep that I'm remembering how terrified I am and wake up again. Okay. Maybe we should That's why I can't there. do the paranormal parts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fun. I can do the paranormal parts. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so the house is known for paranormal activities such as disembodied noises, objects moving on their own, and guests physically being touched. That's gross. And it makes a lot of sense that this energy would linger, especially with so many people in and out of the house all day feeding into it. Especially if you believe in like residual energy. That's just going to make it manifest more, right? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, It probably also doesn't help that most of the original furnishings are still in place and that there's literal, they're they're profiting off of it. And it's all kind of tongue in cheek, you Mm -hmm. know? And I can't imagine that Andrew specifically would be happy about that from beyond the grave. No kidding. You know? There's also a theory that, a common theory that beings can attach themselves to objects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if some of the original furnishings are still there, then it is maybe more likely that they're even more attached to that place because they are still with these objects. Or even just the house itself, they could be attached That's so to. true. Among the ghosts suspected to be there are Andrew and Abby, as well as Bridget and John, which is strange. That's odd. Why are they there? You Bridget know? didn't even stay. She left two days after. I have been wondering about this for a very long time. Why are they there? Why is it... This happens a lot. I've watched a lot of ghost adventures specifically and like ghost (laughs) hunting shows and stuff. And it always seems to be that like the key players of a of a thing like a crime investigation or war or an, like orphanages and stuff like that they'll mm-hmm. have people who didn't die there but are haunting the place and it's always it's never addressed <laughs> they never talk about it it's never like but they didn't die here why would their ghost be here oh that's fun it's never they just addressed. don't say anything no. they just move right on yes so interesting i wonder if it's like a it's been it was such an influential part of their life that they can't they are drawn back to it after their death that could be yeah but also like bridget was at her oldest 20s mid-20s at this time and she lived to be like in her 80s she had so much life after this yeah something must like why would she be attached to this place like she had to be involved no (laughs) (laughs) or maybe I'm not, I'm not a, like, um, an aggressive skeptic, but I will say that that does make me a little bit more skeptical about this whole thing, because mm. why would they even be there, you know? Yeah. That being said, it is a little spooky going into the paranormal side of things. <sighs> I have three different things I want to talk about, because I watched three different ghost investigators go through this home. Oh, boy. So we have Ryan and Shane... <laughs> From Ghost Files. Oh my gosh, I love Ryan and Shane. Yes, they went there and they didn't capture very much besides like a few weird sounds. 
but they kind of wrote it off as like the house creaking. They did spend oh, the night. It's old. Yeah. Mm. But I just wanted to mention them just because I love them. Any chance we have to mention them. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start doing it more from now on. <laughs> um, there's another YouTuber named Mikey, a.k.a. Glam and Gore. Uh-huh. You know yeah, she's with Anthony Patia. Okay. I recognize the name, but I wasn't sure like how I knew her because I've only really watched this one video of hers. So Mikey, a.k.a. Glam and Gore, stayed in John's room overnight. She didn't mm. capture a whole lot, but she did use a spirit box, and she caught a female voice. I thought it was female. I think that they thought it was male. Oh. It was a really off-putting voice. Oh. She said it was them, and then later they caught a male voice saying she is the biggest threat, and then very angrily, it was John. Aggressive. And I put not a whole lot of stock into spirit boxes or even any ghost investigations at all but it was off-putting i don't love that i think that they believed that it was abby and andrew who was speaking i was to just them. gonna ask yeah it's them meaning everyone else yeah as in maybe there was multiple killers yeah like it was them but it was john who did, did it. it sam and colby do you know who they are of course i know who they are oh my gosh okay so they are ghost hunters and they investigated the house also on their youtube channel and this was pretty recently in 2022 i believe oh shoot so they brought a medium with them so she said it, it seemed like she was hearing the ghost speaking to her mm. you know like if that was because psychic abilities or whatever if you believe any of that stuff at all <laughs> it kind of manifests differently for different right. people okay yeah and for her it seemed like she was hearing things from the ghosts Okay. So she said that John Morse was a killer, no doubt. And I believe that she also saw Bridget, who she thought was Bridget. But she said that she got the name Maggie or something similar to Maggie. Oh. Mm -hmm. So she said that John Morse was a killer, no doubt. And that she suspected that he had committed the crime with a butcher knife, which makes sense because he was a butcher. Okay. She also sensed that there was a strong presence of... Maggie, for the record, Maggie did not die in the house, but I don't know how ghosts work. <laughs> Apparently, Maggie, aka Bridget, told her that the money was not worth it. Okay, well, that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really happen, like, it happened while they were recording, but they didn't capture it on camera, but a ball did move on its own. They also got really weird EMF readings, which, again, I take with a bit of a grain of salt. EMF are the electromagnetic frequencies it's like a little radar thing that goes like uh, upper and lower depending on okay. whether there's a ghost in the room theoretically they also caught some orbs which again grain of salt noises and their camera battery got drained a few times and i think there was some weird stuff with mm. the lights too colby even saw a shadow person at one point which is alarming but the most alarming thing happened oh no i believe they were in the dining room and this is a point when she, the medium, really started feeling like there was a negative presence in the area. They also kind of chased what she thought was Andrew around the room with the EMF because he kept trying to get away from her. She said, she said, I think she said that he was scared of her and he didn't want to be around her. Oh, that's sad. Mm -hmm. And then in the next room, she would, they were sitting at the table and they were like, should we do a seance? And she's like, no. <laughs> and they were like, why? And she was like, it's over in the corner. It's, like, in the corner of the room, the top upper corner in the room watching us, and it's mad, and its neck is long, and it's just looking down at you guys. <laughs> and then she basically, like, 
chased it up the stairs, and then it disappeared. <laughs> well, that's horrifying. Okay. It's horrifying. That was really scary, mm-hmm. and I didn't like that part of the video. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hide in the comment section of that word? <laughs> is it going to show me this demon creature? Like a drawing? Like a drawing? Oh, for five cents. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, it was so scary. It was a good video, though. Shout out to Sam and Colby. I want to go on a ghost investigation with you guys. Do you think she did it? I think, in all honesty, that she had some involvement on some level. Yeah. What about you? I don't know if that I believe that she physically did it, but I agree yeah. that she had some involvement. And I think that she might have physically done it herself. I think it's possible. It's possible. But not for just, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how the logistics would work if she had done it herself. But Yeah. Again, the ghosts definitely think it was John. That's really frightening information. I'm very unsettled about the ghost. <laughs> Ghosts might not exist also, so don't be too worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that if she, if this happened today, she would be proven guilty. And I think that partly yeah. the reason that she wasn't is just because she was a woman. I agree. I think it, the attitudes of the time definitely had something to do with it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's weird. It worked in her favor in this case, but in most other cases, that's not how that goes. No. I think that the case was handed, handled weirdly. And I think it mm-hmm. still is handled weirdly. I agree. I don't I don't really know what else to say from here. We talked a lot about it. We did. And fun fact, there's still a ton more of information out there that we didn't even scratch. Yeah. Like, I mean, we got the biggest points is yes. the best, like, is the most important thing. Yeah. So do your own research, but be wary of the photos. Please. Um, and also, I don't know if it'll ever, ever be solved. It might, it probably won't at this point. I think it's probably too far along that, yeah, yeah. it'll just, it's, uh, it's too late now. Yeah. It's weird that they stopped kind of looking for who they thought did it after Lizzie was proving innocent. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if they, if everyone fully believed that it was actually Lizzie. This kind of also, I mean, I don't know how the legal system worked back then, but it also could have been one of those problems that we have nowadays where if you try and go for the death penalty, I don't think we have a death penalty nowadays. I don't think so. Okay. It's a lot harder to get a conviction for that. Yes. Yeah. So not nowadays, but in recent times. <laughs> yeah. Especially back then for a woman. True. Yeah. It just yeah. didn't happen unless there was no other option. Exactly. And theoretically, she never, if she did do it, she never did it again. That's true. It's not like she was a repeat offender. This is true. As far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. That's, this is true. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Did she do it? Was Lizzie Borden responsible for the brutal attack on her father and stepmother? Or was she simply an easy scapegoat for a scared town that needed a quick answer? Whether or not you believe Lizzie is guilty, the Borden murders remain unsolved to this day. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> And we will update you when we do the Lizzie Borden house tour. Oh boy. I'm so excited. <laughs> you totally do it. <laughs> Just the tour. We won't stay overnight. Please tell us what you think and if you find any other very interesting points. And maybe in the future, if there are any updates, we will talk about them. Yeah. Send us an email at weirdthingsinwine at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Weird things in wine and everything. TikTok. We have TikTok. <laughs> Go on TikTok. If you're a TikToker. If you're into that. We're it's, not that hard to find. Okay? We're not hard to find. You can find everything on our website at weirdthingsinwine.com. 
Yeah. Yeah. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. <laughs> this has been, um, I'm really, this case has consumed my past week, and I'm very excited to put it down and to just not think about it anymore. Yeah. You yes. can let it go now. We can let it go now. Yeah. I might never stop thinking about it, because I still don't know for sure what I think happened. This might be one of those that it creeps into your mind every so often. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of one of those things. It's kind of wild. Yeah, let us know what you think, and thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> excited that we did this. Me too. Stay weird. <laughs> Drink wine. And cheers. cheers. Stick around for some bloopers and outtakes. <laughs> just fix our problem. Did we just have to turn on the gain the whole time, and now our audio is going to be amazing? <laughs> I was like, this mic sucks. I just don't know how to use it. <laughs> it's just the case. <laughs> I'm so good at this. But most of my research, I always do it. It's like after dark and I'm sitting in bed, <laughs> the lights are off, and then I'm like realize that my feet are exposed and I don't know, I can't see the rest of the room except yes. my computer screen. I had that exact same experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch a movie about this case, like a fiction movie. Is it the one Chris is doing? I'm like, of course it's the one with Christmas. I haven't Stewart. seen it, but I was I almost was going to watch it. Really, I just wanted to watch Kristen Stewart for an hour. Wow. <laughs> Gosh, we're putting so much on our future selves. We remember. really are. Maybe we should just say maybe we should just stop. <laughs> maybe we should stop. Like, no, like stop. <laughs> we're done, guys. <laughs> there was also a lot of fighting. One of the defense lawyers was a rascal and he a would rascal he would like call out everyone yes oh ew <laughs> oh why did that give me chills that's creepy it adds to the oh, that makes it so much worse i mean <laughs> people <versa>. people do <laughs> kill people but then if you give them the credit then they like you're giving them what they wanted because some people yeah. like you know are like oh my gosh i am the green river killer so i'm gonna do it again yeah i have a nickname i'm like or like the zodiac now, killer right? like that's so cool <laughs> it's a really cool name <laughs> we shouldn't kill people though it's and not worth the name no we shouldn't like glorify it no. but like the murder weapon is just like a means to an end. The murder weapon has no the no murder stake weapon. In the murder. Yeah, the murder weapon's also not going to get a high by being <laughs> nicknamed something cool. It's an inanimate object. Also, yeah. if you feel the need to have a fun nickname, find better friends that will call you by your nickname that you need. Yeah, you really don't need to kill someone to get a nickname. No, you just need to like be friendly. Yeah, with good people. Not bad people. No, bad people will encourage you to do bad things. <laughs> Life advice. (laughs) That's what people listen to this for. That's right.